0: we go. Hello, and welcome again to another Merged Worlds Dungeons & Dragons story podcast. I'm your host, OnlyRiven, and today I will be reciting adventures. Reciting exciting adventures. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully you will enjoy them, but uh, we will be continuing our story in the land of Merged Worlds. So... I appreciate everybody coming by and hanging out today, or if you're listening to this uh, later, either on the YouTube channel or through Spotify or iTunes, I do appreciate everybody giving it a listen. Uh, I've been definitely appreciating all the feedback. If you enjoy yourself, please be sure to click like, and make sure you subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, wherever it is that you are listening to this sound of my voice. So today is episode 20, which... uh, a little mind-boggling to be there. I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, we are. <laughs> we're we're not even we're no we're near halfway yet. And uh, at this point, I've told between forty and fifty hours worth of story. Um, and I realized, I didn't realize there was quite that much uh, when I first started to do this project. I kind of thought you know it it runs six months, maybe eight months, and you know I'd run out. Um, even if i have been doing it every week, I still wouldn't be done <laughs> at this point. So a uh, pleasant surprise. Uh, it's nice being able to go into such detail and go back and cover different things. And of course, mostly do the story side of it, but cover a little bit of the D&D side too. So I appreciate everybody who's uh, been hanging out and listening to all of that of my voice because that's a lot. I don't know if I could listen to me that long. <laughs> well, we'll recap where we left off. Uh, from last episode before we move in a little bit forward here so let's see Um, last episode grab the old book here Uh, forewarned there'll be a lot of reading today which I hope is a good thing hopefully you enjoy hearing the snippets the same way that the characters did when I uh, told the story Um, we're going to see some of that today Um, chunk of that today to be honest with you um, hopefully So, where we left off last time is that uh, our heroes had gone to uh, the marriage of Rafe and Michelle Firemoon, uh, which was very exciting. Uh, long time coming. If you, uh, for those of you who have been listening to the story, uh, they've definitely been working on that for a while. Uh, and, uh, oh, thank you, Neon, for the congrats on episode I'm uh, pretty excited about that. Uh, long running. <laughs> that's that's a lot. <laughs> so, enjoying it for sure. Uh, this is probably my favorite thing I get to do on the channel. So, I'm excited that I get to get to share it there. Um, but, yeah. Um, so, they went to the wedding of Rafe Firemoon. Really got to chat and hang out with a bunch of people. Um, they uh, got to meet with um, Michael's uncle, who was Lord Gunther. Um, uh, who's head of the Knights of Light, um, at least in, in, in this area, um, they hadn't, uh, hadn't really touched much upon Michael's stuff, and I don't think I talked about that much last episode. I'm going to touch on that now or today, uh, but then, uh, after the wedding, as things were celebrations were going on, a messenger came from the northeast from a lake area. Um, oh, yes, Mr. Cooper. Mr. Cooper has a question. I'll let you throw that out there, sir, while I continue. Um, they went to a lake where there was uh, several towns that were experiencing issues with lost ships. And Fire Moon had been negotiating with this town because a very high-quality, expensive fish lived in this pond, a all- river, that can only be found in that location. And... Uh, definitely he wanted to get access to that so they came to him asking for help and because he really couldn't spare any of his people in the middle of all the stuff that's going on with the wedding he asked our heroes to go and check it out which they did Um, and it turned out that there was a little bit of a mystery there they found a guy living on the shore who had run with a pirate named Captain Sheng and the pirate was a jerk (laughs) to say the least Um, but there had been a mutiny and then after the mutiny the captain had somehow re-risen or come back and was messing up people and several of them managed to flee and they've been cursed since and everyone they know and love has been dying his son had gone missing the last person he had left uh, and the heroes found that it was a sea demon which is like a uh, giant kind of like an octopus-y looking thing but it's it's actually intelligent. It's not completely idiotic. But it is a form of demon. And uh, they fought it uh, and basically saved his son and saved the towns. But what he... Uh, but, I mean, at this point, the guy's still cursed by this, by this thing. And the guy knows exactly where the island is that the captain called home. He knows where it is at all times as part of the curse. He always feels that pull back to it return to the captain if you will so he uh, yeah so they decided that they were going to uh, go check out those islands and Darsh got to do something he's wanted to do for a while and Darsh basically used his part of his part of their their treasure that they've amassed across all these adventures and bought a ship and crewed it actually let me grab my book of crew some of them are gonna some of them are gonna pop up in this story today of course because they're on the ship. Let me grab my list here. Yes. Um, so, yes. Uh, oh, and, and Jim, feel free to, whatever your question was, feel free to throw it in there. I can, I'll can, i sure to answer it as soon as it pops up. Um, yeah, so they, uh, they got their ship ready. They bought it. He, Darsh got a crew. Uh, while that was going on, uh, they also found out that mysterious figures had been seen in around the tomb where they found the box of Pandora. Um, and there had also been sightings of drow elves in the area. And then one eye um, who had uh, the head of the Thieves Guild had called upon Dandy and told her that people had been asking about her and her friends. And that uh, well, he didn't see anything specifically drowish, there had been unnamed thieves and assassins in the city that he's not happy about because they're not guild members and can't tolerate that kind of thing. So there's a kill on site for any ungilded assassins or rogues that are found. Uh, Jim says, you said the ship was a smaller ship. Uh, are there people that have to row it? And Doggo's back as well. Ho, oh, Doggo! Um, no, to answer your question, uh, no, it is, it is a... it's still a large ship. Um... I wish I had a picture of it, but I could not find that paper. Um, it's, it's a single a single primary mast, so it's got the full sail in the back and a smaller one, but it's a single primary mast. So it's still a good-sized ship. Um, it's going to need usually at least a crew of 15 to 20 to be able to run it, uh, not counting captain, uh, anybody you know, purchasing a ride, stock, things of that nature. It's big enough that they could take you know, horses and stuff on there. Not tons of them, but they could probably take eight or ten horses in the down in the uh, under area or whatever type of goods they want. So when I say it's a smaller ship, it's smaller than, I guess you'd say, the Black Pearl kind of ship from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, which is actually pretty large as far as ships go, in theory. Um, but it is... Uh, it, 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 it is a, 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 a decent-sized ship, <laughs> a starter ship. We, uh, we spent a good chunk of time... Um, give me a second here. Uh, I think it's this one. Oops, dropped the toy. We spent a good chunk of time researching all this. Um, one of the guidebooks that I used in this section was the Forgotten Realms' Pirates of the Falling Stars, Fallen Stars uh, source book, which gives a whole lot of information on... Um, ships and different skills, specifically for that battle at sea. Um, creatures you'll find, spells and such, specifically designed for um, on the ocean. Different types of boats, the gear that you need, um, the specific type of things a cleric who runs around on this um, would use. Uh, so again, this is second edition, but this is an this is an amazing source of information, regardless. Even if you're playing new modern 5th edition stuff. um, uh, This still just the information it gives on how boats work. How ships work. Some of the spells and stuff. could can be very easily converted to later generations. Um, Cannot recommend that enough for anybody wanting to do anything. Dungeons and Dragons of any style of role playing game. uh, But wanting to do it with uh, boats and stuff. There's a lot of information from Viking ships. To all sorts of stuff in there. A lot of different ways to to work one. Um, So... (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, understand. It's a starter ship. Understand for a minotaur, and that'd be a good way to put that. A minotaur ship, as normal, are going to be a lot of times larger than a human ship just by the pure size of their crew. You can imagine that if they build it for their size, the ship's just going to naturally be larger. Darsh is going to have to duck into most of these doors. So for Darsh, this would definitely be a way smaller boat than he would have probably originally planned on having one day as a young lad in his, you know, as a his clan wanting to take over the family business. Um, You know, he would want to take over one of those large boats. But in this situation, even a boat of this size, which is a good size, would work for um, trading as a merchant's vessel, or even as an exploratory vessel, which is right now what it's going to kind of be. Um, But it really wouldn't be for heavy merchandise. They're not going to be able to carry tons of stock on here. And they're also, it's definitely not built for heavy combat. It has basic stuff of defense, but this is not a ship that you're normally going to hop on because you want to race into battle. Um, and I do not have cannons and such on any of these ships. Uh, Gunpowder and uh, guns as a whole, I shy away from in the majority of Dungeons Dragons. Um, I know that it's written in in some areas, but it's something that I've not managed to bring in or not needed to, I guess I should say at this point. No one's really asked for it. I've not had a desire to bring it in. Uh, so most types of sea combat is going to be with uh, ballista, fire, uh, catapults, um, things of that nature. And magic, of course. You don't need a cannon, you got a wizard. Smage, sea mage. Uh, so that's the kind of boat there. So um, And he named it the Miss Dandelion, which I believe I said yes. I believe. So, there we are. So that's where we were, and they had just taken off on their journey. Danny was just sitting back looking at Paxowall, which has become their new home, seeing the people on the shore, people waving <laughs> frantically, ha! Ah. They're like, yay! Probably, hey, good, thank God the Kendra's leaving. Uh, but Danny's like, yeah, we'll see you later, have an adventure. Um, so they uh, took off with the coordinates. Again, they did not bring the dude with them that was on the pirate ship. Because he wouldn't have come. He was trying to get further away from this area. But he was able to give them very accurate descriptions. And uh, using that information and coordinates, uh, working with their navigator, uh, Gasket Tightwrench, who's a gnome. He was very good at his job. Um, Gasket hooked that up, and they managed to find where they believe these islands to be. Um... So that's where we left off. So I guess uh, before I jump forward, that was a very good question, Jim. I appreciate that because clearly I did not give an accurate description of the ship because everybody thought it was much smaller than I made it out. So, um, no, it's it's an okay-sized ship. Not a huge one, again, but it, it, it's, it's a fair-sized boat. It's not a little tiny one by any means. Um, but it, it does have the capability for minor rowing if needed. It is that small. It is small enough that they could do that if the whole crew jumped in on it. But it is primarily a wind propulsion system, which is mostly... Because, again, that's why you have a sea mage. Sea mage is... If the wind stops. The sea mage is the one blowing wind. You know That's, that's a common spell that a sea mage is going to have, even at the lowest level. How many times they can do it and for how long can definitely speak to their level and experience. But that's, right off the bat, one of the primary things that a, a sea mage would have if he's going to look for work on a boat. Uh, because the wind dies down, you want to keep moving. They'd rather not row if they can help it. Although... Um, minotaur ships, since they, they do still run with clerics, they, they don't really run with mages. Uh, some clerics have that same type of wind spell and such, um, but the uh, they will very commonly jump into rowing, because a bunch of minotaur rowing your boat's probably going to work faster than a wind spell would anyways. Uh, forgot about the smage, so that makes sense. Yeah, smages. Love smages. which out. Yeah. Sea mage, I understand it, but smage just became their nickname. Uh... Both even in game, like the characters will call them, Hey, where's your smage? You know, like that's that is literally a nickname for them. So, so they uh, they have in their boat, like, they're loaded down with a lot of goods. In fact, they are not goods, um, supplies because, again, not quite sure exactly where they're going, they've never been there before, they have what they believe are the correct coordinates, but they're going to an area where, at least from their um investigating, no one's really gone. You know, it's a uh, it's not an area that a lot of people have gone. When you get to Arduel, which is where King Christopher is, which is of the three southern kingdoms on the on the coast of the ocean, the southern sea. Uh, Arduel is the one all the way to the east. Um, to the east of that is, after a short distance, a massive forest that is all elven land. And you, you don't go in there. And even the waters above there, you don't mess, or oh, sorry, beneath there, you don't mess because the elves have boats as well. You just don't get close to elven lands. Elves don't accept anyone in their territory. Um, so, as that, there's not much reason for Ardual one to go around that way to see what's around the elves, because that's going pretty deep into waters to get around elven waters to hope something's over there, when it is just way more profitable to head a little bit to the west. And then, there you, know, you got Paxwall and you've got Thormin, and now you have Firemoon to the north. I mean, that's, that's a lot of trading right in there. There just hasn't been need to try to go around the elves, and the elves sure as hell aren't telling them what's on the other side. Because if you're the elves and you don't want people going around, you don't tell them it's good or bad, you know. The last thing you want is curious people saying, oh, I want to go visit that. So the elves are pretty hush about that. The elves have spoken to um, Christopher's people a couple times. Uh, The elves have come out of the woods to speak to them. They've never come all the way to RUL. They have chatted with them, and they've just made it clear, we're not looking for trade. We're not looking for trees. Just stay the hell out of our woods. Any of your people walk in here, they're fair game. And we will not come out of our woods, which they don't do, so it's never been a concern on their end. Um, so everything's down here. So the, the islands, if you will, are south of Arduel, but more to the east. So they're still outside of the elven waters by a good distance, but it's still in a direction that no one's really had a reason to go very far. there has been minor exploring, but no one's going way out into the deep. No one knows how big this ocean is. Um, it's really, really big, and that's That's the important part of that. Then The southern kingdoms, they just have no idea how wide the water is because once you get to Kronaar, which is a good distance, that's the Minotaur kingdom, which is south of um, Paxiwal, even they've gone weeks' distance further south and still haven't come across land. So it's a massive body of water. Um, So they, they don't... Don't agree for that. But they've got a lot of sh- stuff on them. They're going to be really kind of skirting the edge of Croniar's waters on a little bit. but There's really no reason for them to be concerned there. There's nothing that would they'd get in trouble for if they did come across the Croniar vessel. Worst case scenario, uh, because their minor agreements and stuff with Paxil, um Worst, they're just going to tell them to get out of their waters. Escort them out. Because this ship is sure as hell not taking on a Minotaur war vessel, which is pretty much almost every Minotaur vessel. Um, even a Minotaur battle uh, vessel or a merchant ship is going to be prepared for war as equal to what a human ship would be, but not as good as what a Minotaur ship would be. They're they're bred for that. In many ways, Minotaurs are comparable to Star Trek's Klingons. I've always felt them to be very much along those same lines. Um, So, in many ways, I play them that way. Um, You know, love war, love honor, die honorably, so on and so forth. Doesn't mean you're necessarily evil, um, but you've got that creed of Honor is important. But I play them a little bit more, if you will, cling on with a touch of Ferengi. Like We are warriors. Honor is super important. Respect. Um, we're more likely to take over a kingdom than to make tr- peace with them. But at the same time, we understand that this. We value wealth, you know what I mean. Uh, very Rome-like, if you will. That'd probably be the best example. If you combined ancient Rome with Klingons, you know what I mean. The, the, I always picture the marble pillars, the colosseums of battle. There's the, the whole type of like the games and things like that that they're gonna have. They still value wealth and comfort, but wealth and comfort is earned through battle and honor and exploration. You know, they're explorers as well, especially when it comes to the ocean stuff. They're in most worlds will travel and know the oceans better than anyone else in their area because they want to know all that. They want to know every threat. Um, and so the value of that, and sometimes they will trade with, with races, although nine times out of ten they'd rather just take them over because they view everyone else as a lesser race. Um, like many races, they feel they're a step below the gods and everyone else is beneath them. Very much what elves feel a lot of the time. Um, so in that, they kind of have a likeness there. So, there is that. So I'll get into the story now. They, they travel. Now, they travel for several weeks um, because, again, they're having to recorrect and correct actions. Imagine, again, the world, you know, that we live in and you're navigating... And everyone for a thousand years has known that the stars move in this month. And you get your little sextant and such, and you're calculating, okay, the moon is over there. That star is over there, but it's October, which means we're going this direction. All that, all of a sudden, imagine thrown out the window for every person on the planet, even on Earth. Thrown out the window. you got to start learning from scratch, and the sky, the stars, never move. The sun and the moon are always on the exact same path, regardless of the season. And that's important. Even if it's winter, which we know from our, our science here, that a lot of times you're, you're part of the world closer to the sun, or so on and so forth, the sun and the moon are always in the same track. They always travel east to west directly, which is confusing. Because again, depending on where you're going and what direction, you'd expect that to change over seasons. But summer and winter, it's all the same. Is there a time when we get to learn why the stars don't move, or did I miss it? You did not miss it. Yes, there is information about that when we learn more about what actually, or what what all's involved with the merge and its effects. Um, there's a lot of the stuff I'm explaining here early on that I haven't told yet because it's important to know. It's important to be a surprise when we get there. It's going to be a big reveal, and telling too much of it now would, um... Too much of it would kind of maybe give away some stuff that the characters don't know. And so I, I try to keep the players and the characters in that same line. You know what I mean? I want, I want... I don't want the players to know more than their characters if I can help it. I want it to be... When all of a sudden, bah, like, you walk into the you old episode you walk into the thing and the bad guy running the undead is michael i don't want them to know that before the characters know that surprise and that shock hitting everybody at the same time and now and i attack you've got 2 or 3 minutes to figure out what's going on to absorb this shock and now you're having to deal with that i want them to feel as stressed and confused as their characters would oh my god that's my friend but he's attacking us i have to oh god that's the undead body of my friend what do i do here you know and while that's going on, I'm like, I'm attacking, I'm attacking, I'm attacking. they're like, oh, they have to p- keep those plans up. I'm not going to sit there and give them 30 minutes to talk about it and say, okay, now let's roll. I will push that because I want their characters to deal with it the way they're dealing with it. I want them to be stumbling over that. Um, and that's in those shock moments sometimes, you know. Not all battle is like that. I'll give them time to come up with a bit of a plan within reason. I'm not going to let two people have a 30-minute conversation about what we're going to do in a situation when something jumps out of the trees and you don't expect it. You don't have time to have that conversation in the actual existence of the story, so having it outside isn't really fair either. But if it's a situation where they're like, hey, we, we've we got the surprise and we're going to sneak up and do this, I don't care if they take a little bit extra time to figure out what they want to do, that's fine. They have the element of surprise. So situationally, that can change. This is just me as a DM and how I run my game. A little bit of that slide in there. So again, we're traveling and they are making their way and they don't really have any problems other than a couple times having to recorrecting their course, because again, they're going into an area now where no one's really gone. So even the charts and stuff that they have at certain point are going to become less and less reliable because they don't know exactly the positions of the stars and the moons and the such where they are, which is intriguing. Um, so there's that but it does take them uh, a little bit longer than they expected Uh, it actually takes almost three weeks to find the islands and what they expected to be a week and a half journey they have enough supplies to handle it but they do um now the islands themselves i was looking for my picture of those and i can't find it anywhere um so i'm gonna have to make a new one but the islands themselves aren't necessarily round there are four of them and they go around in in the ship and they they go around before they go on the shore of any of these, and they check them out. And um, almost all, all of them, The one of them is clearly larger than the others, but even then the three small ones um, are all more longer shaped. Um, I try to say, imagine it as a cat's paw with three fingers, okay? So you've got your larger island kind of going on an angle from, see, you guys, it would be this way. I think, no, it'd be this way, it'd be this way, so it'd be coming from the south, the southeast to the northwest, so I'm, I'm looking backwards, okay, so it's, that so it's not round, it's more elongated, and then there are three smaller islands above that, go, pointing in that same direction, so almost like a, a cat's paw print, but where the fingers are longer instead of round, does that make sense? So a larger island, and then three, one that's up a little bit further, and then one that's a little bit down. So two that are almost side by side, one that's a little bit more in the middle, and the bigger one's down here. So like a cat, or an animal, smacked its paw in the water, pulled it up, and left these prints. Uh, Approximately. I mean, they're a little jagged. There's a little cove here and there. That's the approximate shape. They're not perfectly smooth, of course. Rocky edges, one may curl a little bit at one end. Um, But that's the overall location and how they look in the water. This is important later, I promise. Um, so, they know from what the gentleman back at the uh, way up north told them, that the large island is where the uh, pirate captain normally, where they would go and they would like sometimes stay and such. They knew they were there and there was a lot of rocks and stuff. Um, fortunately, it seems that a lot of the rocks or ragged reef and such that was described to them did not come through the Merge. Um, it's actually only worse on the southeastern side, the opposite side that they're coming from, right? So they're coming down here, and then you got, got a big paw, shrink, shrink, shrink. but then it's that section back here is where most of it is. Coming from the direction they're coming, it's actually relatively smooth. They do go all the way around the islands just to check first because they're looking for other ships, Is the pirate ship here? Maybe it's out at the time. Are there other ships? Is there any type of civilization here? They only got a small description of what the island looked like uh, from from Deuter up north. But they have a little trouble getting around that bottom edge because of the rocks and high reefs that are there. Um, But, of course, the reef's just teeming with life. There's tons of fish and stuff around here. Dolphins and manta rays and all the pretty stuff that you'd expect to see in an ocean. Very tropical weather here. That's another thing. These islands are tropical... In their nature, okay, banana trees, coconut trees. It's what you'd expect on a tropical island. Uh, very sandy, but uh, the three smaller ones um, have some little raised hilled area, but it's they're relatively flat. It's like a minor hill, but the largest one does at the one bottom corner, opposite the direction they're coming, does rise up into be what would almost like a little bit of a mountain. Again, not now. I should probably say the islands themselves are of size. They're They're the size of a large, our city. They're a large island. Okay? So it's not like, "Mm, the little ones are still big. The big one is pretty big. Um, They're not like Australia or nothing, but they're a good size. So there's a raised small mountain almost on one side that kind of arcs like a letter, uh, like the, again, looking out like you guys are, you're looking down here, it's going to be a backwards C. It looks more like a quarter moon. I just thought about that. For the record, that has nothing to do with Fire Moon or the fact that moons keep showing up in Merge Worlds. Purely coincidental, I promise. But it's kind of moon-shaped, and then it's empty, and there's a little, you know, looks like that. So trees and stuff growing on it and things. So it's not like pure rock. It's not a volcano. There's no lava or anything like that. But it is very Hawaiian-like in its uh, temperature and uh, vegetation. That would probably be the best way to say that. So there's that. Um, as they make their way to the largest island, after they've done their full circle, um, the bottom island does have one little chunk out of it in the bottom that is like a bay. a very thin one that does have um, a reef such, or a little bit like that, Um, but um, it's where the other ship, pirate ship, would normally go, and there's even the remains of what looks like an old dock there coming out into the water, although it appears to have fallen apart partially um, due to misuse. Um, Even from the boat, they can see the remains of what were small huts that probably the crew stayed in at one point, but they're in very poor shape. Most of the roofs appear to have uh, fallen in or they've blown right over due to tropical storms. Um, They don't really see any signs of anyone living there at this point, and there are no boats in this area. No rowboats, no big pirate ships, which for the record, the big pirate ship was two to three times the size of our ship, it was a massive ship. Mystique says you should have just let everyone I think it was by design that the moons keep showing up. Don't get me wrong, there's plenty of moons in here. <laughs> You're gonna find those. This one here, I just while I was describing it. Give me a minute to finish this. Okay, so number two. I keep a backup. Darsh says, okay, we're, we're, we're gonna have to go ashore. Right? We need to look, see if we can find any clues that the captain or the pirate or anything has been here anytime recently. And so, he decides to take his crew uh, or take his boarding party over into the water. Now, they did not bring Tobias with them on this adventure. I want to stress that. So the only mage they have is the sea mage, and they are leaving the sea mage on the ship. Um, the sea mage is the only one of anyone there that was hired through the mages. So basically, he has a contract. And his contract does not involve getting off the boat, for all intents and purposes. He's to defend the boat, he's to help the boat move, he's to do whatever needs to keep make the boat succeed in his journey, but his contract does not make him get off the boat unless it's a situation of, like, the boat is sinking. You can get off the boat then, but you know, that's not part of his contract. Darsh didn't want that, didn't work one of those out. So they're not going over there with any mages. Uh, no mage like a sea mage, because sea mage don't stop. <laughs> it's true. On that boat, sea mage, one of the hardest-working people there. But if it's not in, they will only do normally what's in their contract if they're hired through the mage tower itself. Now, You hire one just yourself while it's still, he's normally gilded to the mage tower because they don't like non-gilded mages just like... a you know, non-sanctioned assassins, one eye feels the same way. You're going to be working in this town, you get gilded, part of your money comes to us, but at the same time, you basically have work insurance and so on and so forth to us. You have access to the tower, discounts on spell components, things that you'll need anyways, so it only benefits the mage to do that, but if you want to work out a contract with a mage yourself, you can totally do that, the tower just has to sign off on it. Um, the uh, union business of mage work. <laughs> so... Um, Going off onto the shore, of course, is our four heroes Darsh, Dandy, Mercy, and Artemis. So, Artemis is the only spellcaster in the group. Uh, they take two miscellaneous crew members, none of their named crew, uh, because his, his uh, first mate is Dorm. We talked about that. Dorm is a human. Uh, I do not have a picture of Dorm. I apologize. I know what Dorm looks like. And I did not pull the picture up. I just realized that. I have several pictures set up for today. Because we're going to come across some new characters-ish. And so I wanted to show those. um, But I forgot to pull one up for Doram. And I just realized that right now. I have several of his crew members. Doram is really the only one that we kind of have to look at right now. Because he's the only one that's relatively important. I guess you'd say because of his rank. Several of the other um, named folks... Uh, will be on there also. Uh, but Dorham, uh, I use... Oh, I feel so bad because I can't think of the actor's name. Oh, Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise is the actor of who I, I picture uh, is who I have the actor who represents him. So if you know Gary Sinise, Lieutenant Dan uh, in, in in or on NCIS New York, uh, a lot of great things he's done. I'm a big fan of the actor myself. Uh, but Gary Sinise is what Dorham looks like. Um... Dorm Marshlight is his name, and he's the uh, first mate of the ship. Um, and very quickly, in the uh, does he have legs? Yes, Jim, he does have legs. Uh, he's he's normal. Uh, uh, him not Lieutenant Dan, <laughs> but uh, he, he's not shaggy either. He's very well cut, like a very very navy cut kind of cap. Does have his stash though. Uh, he does keep his stash. Um, uh, but I'll get his picture added to the website as well, which I should throw out there if you're listening, on OnlyDraven.com, uh, where I post these as well. At the top, there's a page tab that says Characters. If you go there, a lot of times the pictures that I show here on stream, uh, I will put up on there afterwards so you can reference those should you need to. Uh, so I'll, I will I will fix the Gary Sinise picture and get it up there. Um, but yes, Gary Sinise is Dorham And uh, in the few weeks that he's been working underneath Darsh, Darsh has come to rely on him very heavily. Uh, great guy strict by the boat by the by the book kind of thing does exactly what Darsh wants but he's not like overbearing or treat the crew like filth the crew very quickly came to respect him and through that darsh as well so uh, he, he very quickly began to get a feel for Darsh's captaining style uh, and became very very quickly adjusted to um, knowing what Darsh was going to want before Darsh needed it because he's been he's been on the sea longer than Darsh has. The guys like in his late 40s, early 50s at this point, um, he's more experienced than even Darsh is on the water. So, Dorm is staying on the boat, keeping an eye on the ship, getting it ready in case these guys come hoofing it back on their rowboat, then they are ready to go at any time. So, uh, they're 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 staying ready to shove off at any moment. Uh, and that's basically what the sea mage is doing. He's prepared to get them out of there in a hurry uh, by adding wind and such to to expedite that fleet if this other ship shows up. Because from everything I know from this other ship, the other ship very likely would be able to overtake them very, very quickly. So. um, I appreciate Darsha's seafaring side so much because it really brings extra dimension to Darsha's character. I am very happy to hear that because Darsh was the first, but not the last, character to start getting this type of a a side story, or or, or expand upon that. Actually, tonight we're going to be starting that for a lot of people. Um, I mentioned something last week that the level they were getting to was going to have an effect on things. And um, that... Really takes place right now with Darsh. At this point, the characters had reached around ninth level in Second Edition Dungeons and Dragons, and at ninth level, um, majority of your classes are going to start attracting followers through fame, fortune, word of mouth. People will hear of you and say, "Okay, this is someone I want to work for, or this is someone I want to follow along with." So. With Darsh, this is how we took that on for his character. Darsh, from the moment Darsh was created, he was a seafaring minotaur. Oh, yes, Alex, I apologize I didn't get to answer the question. Yes, I still do. (laughs) I put up tutorials. I actually put three up today. I still put tutorials up and streaming it occasionally. Um, But right now, I'm I'm doing a lot of volcano block. But I will be back to Sky Factor, I have no doubt. So, thank you for the question, Alex. And thank you, Mystique, for jumping in there. Um, But... This is how we tackled this side of it. From the moment she created Darsh, she knew she wanted to one day him to have his own boat. That had been planned from day one. How we were gonna get there, what that was gonna look like, not a real discussion until we really built up on the character. Um, It really didn't come into play until this chapter we're in right now where they basically came back from the dead and had to start looking for the gems and they found Paxiwal. I started building a bit towards that. that's when we had Cronear pop up, the Minotaur kingdom in the waters. These things, a lot of that were designed in a way to pull Darsh into some type of a side story that would let him do that. So I had been building up a lot for this very early on without discussing that. I was basically planting seeds to be able to have that type of thing moving forward. You're going to see a lot of that today, but all the characters are going to start seeing something along those lines very, very quickly. The first, technically was actually Dandy, um, Dandy getting Michael. Um, And as an interesting aside for just behind the scenes of the Dungeons & Dragons side of the story, the reason Michael exists in the story is that early on the characters found a deck of many things. And a deck of many things is a magical item that can destroy a party, destroy a whole adventure. Because it's a deck of cards, You decide how many cards you want to pull out ahead of time. You have to pull out that many. Half of those cards are phenomenal. And half of them will destroy your world. And if you say, I'm going to pull four cards, unless the first three kill you, you've got to keep pulling cards until you pull your four out. And one of the main things that... One of Dandy's cards she pulled was gain the services of a fourth-level fighter. And so I pulled these cards, and I just didn't magically appear right there. I wanted to work them into the story naturally, but the magic kind of pushing him in that direction. That's why Dandy found Michael. And why very early on, Michael had that whole attraction to Dandy. That's what made him pull towards her, both um, respectfully and romantically. Um, it was literally fate and magic that brought them together that caused that connection. And every point where there was an option of... Does their relationship go to a point? Does it take a step further as an actual relationship? Dandy had the choice. The, act, the the character who was playing it had the choice to say, no, I don't want to go that way, or yes, I do. Because even with fate and magic, these characters are touched. We've talked about that. They're touched by the gods. They have the potential to affect the world around them in ways that the average person does not. So they can reject these things. They can't force you to fall in love. It can put someone in there and plant the seeds to put you on that path, but that decision is still theirs, and I, I never want to force these things on the characters. So at certain times, I'll say, in this moment, you have a choice. Do you accept the romantic gesture? Do you decline it? How do you respond to that? Um, and all the characters see this at some point, um, but Michael was the very first one, and the young lady who was playing Dandy, Really liked that arc, really liked the concept of Michael. Um, the moment when they found the Kender village destroyed, uh, and, the, and the young Kender died in her arms, um, I had a little scroll written up. I wax sealed it, because I used to do that kind of stuff when we played the games to make it you know, a little bit cooler, made a scroll. And in that moment when all this stuff was going on and Michael kind of swears his undying fealty to her, she popped it open, and in that was... In this moment, Michael is offering this. Do you accept it or do not? How do you respond? Because I knew I was going to put that out there. But in that moment, I'm not saying this. I'm not, it's not, hey, all the people playing, this is what Dandy's hearing. In that moment, the, the young lady who was playing it, young lady named Skip, read that, had to look at me and tell me I want to do this. She made that decision for herself, and the other people who were playing... They don't know what's in the scroll. They're reacting. She's making a reaction based on a situation. She's basically in her head and in her heart in that moment. It's only she knows and, and senses what's happening here. And so she makes that reaction. and She makes that decision. And then I build the story from whichever direction she chooses. And in that situation, she accepted Michael. So they became a thing. Um, but that all happened because she pulled a card out of the deck of many things. Um, and I like seeding things in a story that don't pay off until years of real-world time later. That happens a lot, where I'll throw something in, and then, tears down the road, something that was just a casual comment I mentioned is now the most important thing in their world. Um, so I like to do that. And you'll see a lot more to that as we're moving forward, because the characters are going to build a whole lot in depth as they start taking on more leadership roles in whichever life or community they start pushing themselves, or start working their way into. Darsh being the first... ...to really get the large lump of this with the ship. So that's why he has a crew. So the named crew... Some, not all, because they may switch out. Some may live, some may die. We haven't gotten there. But the named crew were basically the followers that Darsh got first. Those were his ninth level fighter. People that track to him. Uh, When he's out looking for a crew, they're like, I've heard of you. Yes, I've heard of your tales. Yeah, you're hiring? I can do that. I'll take that job. And then through his actions... They can stay or they can go. If he's a jerk to the crew, they're probably going to leave. Treats him real good, then they, word of mouth may cause him to gain more. And so, that's how this built up. I know I'm going a lot into the side of that today and I'm not really getting far into the story, but, <laughs> but this is, of course, you know, some of the stuff that builds onto the story itself, so I'm trying to throw that in there for you as well. Uh, Neon says, I love multi-classing as a player, so I think about these levels 7 9 as being when I can start coming into my character wholly. And I feel the same way. First few levels, you're just trying to get figure out how you work. What skills have I got? What spells have I got? What things can I do? Then once you do that, you start putting, now you start the role-playing side. Of it. You start getting into the, well, how does my character act? What are the things that drive me as a person? Uh, Nian says, which means that the weirdest astrological stuff about how time passes is super important. My theory is looking more plausible. Hmm. Interesting. Once you finally, when I finally say what happens, you'll have to let me know how accurate you are. And everything that I say is incredibly important. It's how I try to convince them. They will will listen for odd inflection of my voice and be like, that could be a clue. The notes. Hilarious. I found a box, I think I told you. I hadn't opened up in, in years. And inside of it are just stacks of notepads from, and some of the notes. I was going through those the other day, laughing because it was reminding me of little things that weren't story drivers, but were just hilarious little moments that I can throw back in here now. It's a love for posterity. I appreciate that. All right, so let's move forward with the story because we've got some things we want to do today. I've been jibber jabbing about the Garsh the buildup. Let's, let let's let them get going. So they make their way to the shore. The several, the two or three non named, Crew members, basically the red shirts, if you want to call them Star Trek, the people that come that don't have a name specifically, uh, they're going to stay with the boat, ready to shove off should Darsh and pals come booking it back. Um, but it's just going to be the four of them who are actually really searching around. And as they do that, uh, they start with what was the huts and such where people live. The dock is in rough shape. Most of it has fallen in. The poles that come up out of the water are still there. But most of the planks and stuff that were uh, would actually be the walkways have fallen in or half in or hanging in the water. Um, Definitely they can see where tropical storms have come through here at some point and blown a lot of this stuff around. Um, And it was built very haphazardly to begin with. It wasn't like a high construction crew put this together. So um, looking at it, the bay itself is very, very wide open. You could have had several big dock systems in there, probably being a bunch of... It's really deep and then go shallow real quick, so you could very easily pull several large ships into this bay if you had a bigger dock system. Um, so it makes sense why the captain of the pirate ship would use this, because you can get that boat pretty close into the island, and until you come around to that bay, you wouldn't even know the ship is there. So it's a good little hidey place, had the pirate ship be here, but it is not. And immediately upon the sand, they don't find footprints, there's no... Recent fires. Nothing that would show that anyone has been there recently. After searching the area and finding broken bowls and plates, nothing of value. You know, shovels that had worn away and things, some hammers and such. Um, mostly empty liquor bottles. Pirates, after all. Um, they don't find anything of value. No treasure. Not a single coin. Not a piece of jewelry. Nothing that would be personal, in at all. No pictures. No letters. Although, again. Uh, water coming up on shore through storms, anything like a lot of that could have been washed away if there was any. It's hard to tell. Behind this little, what would be village area, it then goes up in towards towards that n- small mountain. And it's a small mountain. Like, you could walk to the top of it. Like, I, I don't want you to think you'd have to be mountain climbing it. If any of you have played GTA, uh, it's like Mount Chiliad. It's a big mountain, but you could walk up it if you wanted to. be Steep at points, it's kind of tall, but it's not like you need mountain climbing gear to get up there. There might be a couple spots on one side or other where it's a little shift, but the most of it's fine. And in the high, lush vegetation, because it's very summer-like here, and there's thick branches and vines and bamboo-y looking stuff growing in here. Um, and they, they've got their cleavers, and they did. They specifically brought blades for chopping through vegetation. Uh, that isn't one of their weapons, that they can drop in a heartbeat and pull a real weapon. But if they need to, their machete can use as a manual weapon. Um, both Mercy and Darsh have one. Um, they they got those for the trip. And a lot of times they, they keep them on the ship. So if they're like, hey, we're going on the ship. I want a bunch of rope and I want some machetes. Yeah, they're in, they're in the stock. Grab them. When they return from a trip, I'm like, Here's how much gold it'll cost you to restock your supplies. We don't have to go through specifics unless there's something new or special they want. I say, this is how much worth of stuff you used. This is what it'll take to do it. He gives that money to the first mate dorm. Dorm takes care of that. So we don't have to spend an hour, how much rope do you need? It's it's assumed that majority of the needs are taken care of by the first mate who knows what the boat needs. So we can move into the D&D side of it and less of the boat maintenance. There is still some of that, because sometimes I made him haggle with the crew for actual uh, wages when he takes on a new one. And any time there's a sea mage involved, Darsh had to negotiate that. We role-played that for sure. So, But they're like, okay, even, even though it's lush and there's no signs of vegetation, very quickly behind the, ver- the back of the, uh, the village, if you want to call it that, uh, ruins, there appears to be what looks like a trail going up towards the mountain. Um, it's still very thick and lush, but something has moved through this area in repeated times, and the ground is even slightly worn there. Because as you get away from the beach, it becomes more actual dirt and rock and grass, and less sand. That's only really close to the beach. Um, now, this could be an animal trail, although they don't see any animal prints. There's also no human prints or footprints of any animals that they can see here. But it is a well-beaten path, although it does look old. So, over time, nature will take it back over. But that could take a while if it was used frequently for even a a short, long, short period of time. They decide to follow that, even though there's no signs of it being used recently. One, because it's a little easier to traverse. And two, if somebody went this way one way, it's because that means there's something up there worth getting to. That was the way they looked at it. Instead of just splitting up in the jungle, let's go where they were going to go, which was a wise move. And they travel uh, through the woods. And it's slow going because there are parts where it's overgrown more and they're having to chop and cut their way through. Um, but after a, a good hour of fighting through, a short distance walk, because of the lushness, I'm also lushness, but the lushness, uh, they, they get to a clearing, which is a little bit of a, 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 a lake. Oh! Thank you very much. Solid hits for the follow. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, but there's a lake. It's a good-sized lake. Like, Deep enough in the middle that even Dar should be over his head, but shallow enough that you could see the bottom. Very crystal blue. Very nice, clean lake. And there's a small waterfall coming down that mountain into it. And they're like, this is cool. And they check it. It is a source of fresh water. Which is really cool and not easy to find on islands. Again, a very understandable reason why the evil captain would have chosen this island. Um, they didn't see anything mountainous on the other three. Probably doesn't have any severe water supplies. This lake, you could live in here forever. I mean, you know, not forever, but you know what I mean? Long time. That's fresh water supply, and that's serious business in the middle of the tropical oceans. Especially if you're traveling and you need water supply because you can't pull into a port because you're a pirate. This is a great place to restock and resupply your water. Um, and Darsh sees that. He's like, okay, cool. That makes sense. And bumbling around the outside of this lake, they find. The odd broken piece of wood, you know, a handle from an axe, you know, stuff that shows people were here at one point. But there's no trail leading away from the river. And so uh, in this moment, being a walking cliche, uh, the dungeon master, that would be me, uh, decided to go old school and classic. So yes, of course, they searched behind the waterfall. And yes, of course, they found something because I wanted to bring some classic piratey style to this. So Dandy's first to swim. They decide to take a, you know, get in the water, see if they find anything in there. There's no hole. Remember way back when they are fighting for the water gem, they got sucked in a hole. There's nothing like that here. Uh, it is just a lake, but they, Dandy finds that there is a cave behind the waterfall and draws attention to this to the others. And they're like, okay, pirates, that's probably where they hide stuff. That would make sense to us. And, again, uh, I should point out that the smage does have the ability to shoot up a spell like a flare. It's a smage spell, instead of a flare gun. Uh, They watch for these things, they don't see anything like that, uh, so they feel comfortable going in here. Uh, I don't mention that because it's going to happen now, but in the future, it might. So that is something that a smage can do. Um, Which, a lot of other mages could probably do it as well. Pyrotechnic spell, things of that nature. So, for Darsh, even he's pleasant, pleased to find that the cave opening and tunnel is big enough that he can walk through it um, relatively comfortable. And this is a minor ducking at times from his horns, but it's actually a pretty large cave. And it looks like when they're going into it that it's naturally formed, uh, but after a short distance, it's easy to see where tools eventually chipped this and dug this out further. There's the, the chip marks in the wall were, you know, nobody worked this to make it look professional. It was more for usability. Um, and they follow it. And uh, let's see here. I, I have some things I'm going to read today uh, that I read to them. The only difference being, instead of saying, you see this at the end of the hall, I will say they saw this. Because I was reading it to them at the time. But after that, you know. Um, after just a few moments, the tunnel ends. That they're following in. They're traveling in a strange chamber. And while it appears to be natural and cave, kind of, you can tell that it's not from the, the minor chips around there, uh, but it's decorations or anything but. Human skulls have been fastened everywhere, almost as if they're climbing from the walls. Uh, most are close enough to be touching, so there's space sometimes between some, but they're most of them are all over, not the floor, but all the walls and the ceiling. Now, sitting on the ground against the wall uh, is an old, battered sea chest. Um... Dandy was successful in her test, and found out that this was, in fact, a trap that was set there, um, and was able to disarm it before she opened it up. And it was full of some type of explosive powder that would have boomed them all. I was kind of looking forward to that, but she survived it. Um, So they start looking around, and they're like, okay, you don't just build a room and have it end in stalls and put a booby trap in here unless it's important. There's got to be something. So they start looking for secret passageways which they know to do in every Dungeon Dragon situation. Uh, Looking for secret doors is the first thing you do in any room you walk into. Um, So upon close inspection of the skulls, they're looking around for a bit, Uh, Darsh finds that one of the very higher ones that the other ones couldn't even really reach, um, one of the skulls actually has um, an eye patch over it. So all these skulls are just bare skulls, but one of them has an eye patch. Um, He lifts Dandy up so she can search it to see if it's trapped. She does not find any traps on it. That's the scariest thing that a DM can tell a rogue. You do not find any traps. Doesn't mean there aren't any. just means you didn't find any. And now you have to, because you don't know if you're successful or not. Because I'm a jerk. So they then decide to lift it up and see there was no trap there. Um, Lifting it, they find what appears to be a small keyhole. So they start searching the room for a key. And sure enough, it's underneath the battered chest that they found. Uh, it took them a while they had to get it out there. It was disarmed, of course. Dandy had already done that. But they had to move it carefully because it was still an explosive powder. Is what Dandy says. She, she knows what the powder is. And there's more than you'd normally put in a trap like this. And she's surprised it hasn't gone off before this just naturally. Um, so there's that. They find the key and they put it in. They turn it, um, turning the key. They hear a loud click, and then from somewhere comes the sound of gears turning. Uh, with a loud crack, part of the cave wall slowly opens up and then slides backwards and swings open, revealing a doorway with a tunnel uh, leading into the darkness. A stale wind blows up, you know, kind of like something that's open that hasn't been opened in a while, um, and then it fills your no- and it fills their noses with this uh, the scent of old death. So if you're anything like that it's not a sulfury stink, it's more of a, a sweet smell of old death, that sometimes you find in mausoleums, churches, and old graveyards. So they follow this tunnel down and it from this point on, anytime they're traveling, they're almost always going down. Whether it's down the hill, downstairs, it's constantly working its way deeper, but also it feels like into the mountain itself. Um this tunnel itself twists and such, and turns. They walk it for about five to ten minutes uh, before it enters into another large, irregular chamber. Uh, while large, the chamber ceiling is about eleven feet high. Um, they search around here. I, I, there was a miscellaneous fight with the, with the, uh, like some type of. It was like a snake, like a big snake that had somehow crawled up in here or something. I had them fight like some miscellaneous things. And that's things where you gotta be careful. Uh this personal from a DM standpoint is when you're choosing your monsters. Uh because I can't say they came across four goblins. Because if I come across four goblins, I explain why were four goblins living in a hallway that no door has opened for ten years, twenty years, thirty years. What do they eat? What do they drink? Why do they sleep? Why were they living there? It's silly. So you've got to be careful to make sure when you're building a dungeon and such that you have a reason to explain why the things they're fighting would be in the room they're in. So natural animals that might have found a crack or a way through, um, big snakes, alligators, things of that nature, uh, are a little bit more realistic. Um, in, as realistic as you could be when you're fighting with magic, but something along those, those lines. So they fought some type of big snake in here, and then they continued through a tunnel on the other side of that room. Uh, let's see. Ah! This one's important. So, after traveling for a while longer, they come up into a large cavern. This is by far the largest cavern that they've come into. And in the center of it is something like a waterfall. Let me explain, because this is something you're going to want to remember. Imagine around Water, like you turn on a faucet, you know, water comes straight down, usually in like a round kind of, sometimes on an angle, but it's coming straight down through a hole in the roof, through a hole in the floor, right? Straight down with very high pressure, which in itself is odd unless it's falling from a great height. This is what they see, but they see it something slightly different. The water is going up, the water is not going down. It is falling up. It's coming from the ground with high pressure. High pressure. If you put your hand in it, it could almost hurt a little bit. There's no swimming in this. I want to point that out. They're not jumping in the water. But the pressure is going straight up. They do manage to scoop some out. and checking it, it is fresh water. Not salt water. Discussing it, they figure this could be the source of the water that is the waterfall. Because again... The mountain's not that high. There's no snowy peaks up there that ice is melting from that would normally be what would cause your water to trickle down in seasons. But this is fresh water that's going straight up and could be pooling at the top and then falling down, landing in that lake, and then rivering out a couple different directions down into the sea. Uh, Neon says, the pressure could have cut the hole in the top right. It is possible. But upon searching, they do cite that it is perfect circles. It's not angled. They're perfectly cut circles, and they are smooth to the edge. And water will still spray out like a mist. Like, you stand close enough, your drops are going to come on. It's not like it's a solid thing. It is water. But the pressure is enough that it's going straight up. Is it hot water? It was cold. I'd be worried it's artificial, not a natural event. It is cold water. It is not hot water at all. It's not freezing cold, but cool water comfortably cool. The kind of temperature you'd want to make a nice glass of on a warm day. Good question. On the other side of this room, that makes no sense. Exactly. And now we're going to continue on and not talk about that for a while. They, uh, they do find another trap in that room. Dandy had to disarm it. It was a blade trap. This was a very trap-heavy uh, area of the story because I hadn't done a lot of traps lately. A lot of the stuff they've been dealing with hadn't really been uh, dungeon style. So this was an opportunity for me to let Dandy use some of her thief skills again because she'd been leveling and her thief skills were getting better. So, uh, moving silently, uh, hiding in shadows, because she was going down the tunnels first to get a view, and then searching and disarming traps. Uh, She did quite a few of that, and successfully disarmed every trap that she found. There were several tunnels they didn't go down, that there were some traps that they didn't touch. uh, So, I don't know. But they managed to successfully disarm all the ones that she found along the way. Um, And basically what happened here is, as they were traveling through they would get to the room which would branch off in certain chambers. And they would go in there, and they would be finding something. Um, maybe it would be uh, an alligator. It'd be some type of weird animal in there. Uh, at one point, there were some undead skeletons that they fought in a room. Because, um, well, I mean, it's the only kind of skeletons you're going fi- to fight, really. If you're fighting just regular dead skeletons, you're going to win pretty easy. But they're battling that out. And in each room, they were starting to find things. And, you know, good bones, first of all. I should say they're finding bones, obviously. There's bones everywhere. But in each room, they started finding a wooden bone. One time it was a skull. One time it was a femur. One time it was a hand bone. But they started finding wooden bones of normal human size. And they start taking them with them. Because, you know, it's Dungeons and Dragons. you got to have puzzles. Uh, and so they, they do that through several different rooms. So this took a while for us to play through it... Because there were little adventures... Or puzzles in the room that they would have to figure out... In order to find the wooden bone piece that they needed. Um, because at so one point they get to the place where they are needed... they have to go back and find the ones they missed. So... Um, let me see where we are here. B-b-b-b-b-b- some of the pools. Uh, yes. Okay. So um, eventually they find uh, all the pieces they need and they come into another chamber with bones all over it and they can find empty slots because there's like, instead of just skulls it's skeletons built into the wall um, and if you remember way back in the Pandora Temple, there was like a door where people were coming out of the door, and it was like a battle scene. Same kind of concept where there's skeletons in different poses and positions um, in the walls. Sometimes it'd be just the top half, sometimes it'd be the side of one. And finding the different holes, which wasn't easy, they had to search for it, and finding the wooden bones in the specific locations uh, caused a secret door to open. And they had to find all, I think there were five pieces of the bones. They had, it was like a leg bone, there was an arm bone, there was a skull. Uh, I can't remember what the other one was. I want to say there was a finger bone and a toe bone if I remember correctly were the little ones that were hard to get a hold of. Um, and then once they because they had to find where they went in this room of bones um, and they were rolling and doing skill checks to try to find them. But they successfully find those um, and again it opens up. So it ta- after they finally get that, they start walking in this in, 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 again and it's still going down. They've been going down for a while at this point. Um and it takes them, at this next section, almost 30 minutes of twisting and turning and down and such, uh, to finally get to the end of this twisted, crooked tunnel that they're walking in. At the end, they hear the sound of falling water as they approach it. And they step into this chamber, which is uh, um They find uh, another one of those water chutes going up. It's not falling water again. This one's even larger. The other one was probably about uh, your classic, like, the size of a tire. That's the one that was in the other room going up. This one, uh, even touching hands, they'd have a hard time putting their hands and, and around it without, you know, with Darsh's big arms. It's very large with another huge spray, and this one just—it looks the exact same pressure style going straight up. Um, let's see. So they get to the end there. Ah, they get to the end, and on the other side of that room, there is a very old door, and it kind of looks like. A ship's door. It's wooden, but there's no window on it. I wonder if they're walking on the ceiling. Well, this door looks right-side up to them. <laughs> so, right-side-up door. And But it's, it's large. Right? And the walls have bones and such. They find all the chambers, I, I should stress that, have bones and skulls and stuff sticking out of them. There are a lot of dead things in these walls. Um, but they find this door. And there's a lever... That they have to they, it gets locked, they can't move. Dandy says the lever opens it, it's not trapped. She tests it. So they're like, okay, we've got to do it. But Darsh is the only one strong enough to really pull it down because it's it hasn't been open a long time. Misty in here. It's kind of rusted and corroded. They can see that. So Darsh, you know, with his strength and one-handed, but still, he manages to pop it down. And as he does that, you are clanking machine type sound behind the door. Things clanking, latching, which you kind of hear very Goonies-esque in sound, if you will. And then they hear like a roar, but not from in front of them, from behind them. They spin around, quickly drawing their weapons. But as they do, they see a huge figure step from out, out of the middle of that water. Its huge, dead body steps onto the cavern floor with a loud thunk noise. This massive dead minotaur is armed with a massive two-handed sword. You could tell the rotting leather clothes it wears was once of high quality, obviously a symbol of high rank on the captain's ship. Its eyes faintly glow as it just starts walking forward. If you'll remember, the captain had a first mate that was killed too and he was a minotaur. So they had to fight this minotaur in this room. And again, as you know, why they kept running into undead minotaurs, it wasn't really planned. It just the story kept leading us that way. Um, but it was a big fight um, and they managed to of course defeat him, but they did take uh, a little bit of damage there. Darsh took the lion's share of it because the cavern, while large, high ceilings wasn't a lot of room between the water and the walls. So it was hard to everybody to get in there. In fact, sometimes they were running around to try to flank him and get him on the back. But the issue was, is a lot of times when we were fighting, if they were pushed against that water, it would actually hurt. It's so much pressure. It could knock them over. They had to roll to see if they dropped their weapon. You know, if they fall back into the water and water sends their sword flying. Or if they hit enough, especially someone as small as Dandy or Artemis, snags or clothes or something, then they may go flipping sideways as well. So, the water with pressure was high enough that they were never going to get really pulled into it, but it did have an effect on how they fought. Um, and so there were negatives and things that they had to deal with in that battle. But over time, they managed to do enough damage to the Minotaur body that it falls, Darsh beheads the thing, and then it just kind of crumples into corpseness. Not dust, but bleh. Stinky corpses. Very stinky. I think Danny commented on the stinky often quite often. Um, But once they defeat it, again, this whole dungeon, they've not found any treasure. There's been no loot here. How depressing. But at the same time, they've killed an undead minotaur. Which is very cool, because they think, hey, we're step towards maybe freeing that dude from his curse. But if there's an undead minotaur, what's behind the door? They heal themselves up and prepare themselves for the worst. As they pull open the large stone door, once again they hear running water. On the other side is a very low tunnel that goes down sharply into the darkness. Um, It's slick. Uh, Darsh's signature move. Is it dead? Slash. Darsh. It is now. (laughs) Very accurate. Very accurate for Darsh. Uh, But it's, it's a very funky thing. It's not a slide. It's not like a ramp. It's almost like stairs and flat and stairs and flats but it's very slick and slimy and this area of the of the dungeons the first time they've come across there's no bones but there's vines and it seems like water's dripping through the roof so the whole thing is mossy and it's very very slick and several times they fall they had to go to their signature move of tying each other tying themselves to each other which they do anytime things get dangerous um, and for the first time Darsh went to the back instead of the front. Uh, because Darsh, being his size, had the best chance of maintaining balance. And if anybody else fell, Darsh, with his strength, could normally hold him up. Uh, So in situations like this, a lot of times Darsh moves to the back, where Mercy normally would be. Mercy will now come to spot two. Dandy's up front, searching for traps. Artemis is always in the middle, sandwiched by the warriors for protection. Never leave your healer unprotected. So several times they slip and fall. Even Dandy fails some checks in here, which I laughed at horrendously because she rarely fails a dexterity check. She had a couple of bad rolls, which made me laugh. So she got all slimy and dirty, which made her very frustrated. Um, but they start making their way down. And they go down for... It, it, it takes longer. They don't go as far as they have in some of these other tunnels, but it takes longer because of the sheer slickness of such. Clearly that door and this, no one's come down here in a while. Uh, which the whole thing, but this one even more so. Um, So when they come into the bottom, finally, and it opens up, sorry, I heard a noise, they walk into a room, and what they find is something that I built in Minecraft once. What they find is a ship. Now, the ship itself is falling into ruins. In fact, so much so that the back part of the ship has crumbled and it's actually tilted with the front of the ship in the air. Um, there's no openings or anything that would show how it got in here, but the, there is water that it's in, and you can, it's funky water, and it's a dark cavern. There's not much light. There's a little, but I'll get to that in a second. There's not much light, so they can't see how deep the water is. But the boat itself is up. the The, the sails still hang, but they're all just kind of falling down like ropes and such have come loose there's moss and vines and stuff that have grown up and there's some vegetation in here as well that have grown up across it so it's been here for a while now and they can see a large hole on the side they're in in the back which is part of the reason probably why it's sunk but the ship appears to have some other small holes in it as well it's a large ship probably was really nice when it was in good condition um, but it's not now but I mentioned light there are several light sources on the ship. They appear to be like torches, but the flames that flicker from them don't appear to be any type of fire, but instead some type of blue luminescent light. Artemis very quickly can say, that's a magic torch. That's magic. That's not normal. That's not fire. So they move carefully, but they move forward. What they find Sometimes old wooden gangplank that would come off of the ship. It's a little crooked, but it's down, or someone could literally go up and down the ship. And as they make their way to the base of the boat, uh, something happens. I should probably read that part. (laughs) Ah, there we go. A cackling laughter comes from the ship that seems to echo from the walls in the chamber that they stand in. Their weapons were already drawn, but now they're aware. They have untied themselves from each other by this point. Before they moved into this room, I do want to stress that. They're smart enough not to walk into a room tied together. Usually. Not always. One of these days, I'll tell you the story about the Medusa. That was not fun. Well, it's funny, but it was stupid. So, they... They hear the cackling. they draw their weapons. Artemis is like, whoo! spellcasting stance. Not that she really has any spells that are going to help in this situation, but, you know, she tries to be ready, you know, tough like everybody else because they're standing there with their weapons out. She's got her staff, like, you know, wants to still be cool. Um, And they hear a clanking and jingling on the deck and thunks as something is stepping forward. Appearing at the top of the gangplank is clearly the captain. Or at least it was. The skin hangs from his flesh. The rot, pieces of bone showing through his arms and such. His eyes glowing with a blue light matching the torches, oddly enough. And no, the torches aren't the thing that you use to beat him. They thought of that and they tried that, didn't work. But he has the same kind of magical fire of it. He said, you're not one of my crew, but I can smell them on. And he, I forget what the guy's name was off the top of my head now but he mentioned him he goes I see you've met, you have you found blah 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 it's only a matter of time they all come back to me eventually but you, you you must be here for my treasure well many have tried and all have failed and now you will join them that was you know something like that was the conversation. I don't have the specific because then they go back and forth a little bit. But he laughs that their, at their, they try to be tough and stuff, and they don't do a very good job at it. And so drawing his weapon, which is this big part, because he's big for a dude for a human. Uh, he's really big. Long hair as well. Um, I should probably say this to clarify it, even though I didn't before. Um, I, try, I, I think I did when I was describing it, but I don't, he is an Asian pirate. If that means anything? Trying to say that. Uh, so. That he's, he's dressed in more of that style of a pirate. if you Because we looked into that, and I, I looked up different uh, types of piracy styles from um, Eastern Kingdoms when I was designing this as well, because I use that a lot. Um, and so the ship itself has a bit of the flair of that. Remember, he came from f- far across the water where even the guy who was on his crew doesn't know anything about that. Um, but it came across, and he, his, his name was uh, Chen. It's, he's Asian. Okay, so there's that. He has a bit more of that style to him. But he comes forward, and, and they enter into a, into a fight. Um, the fight itself um, became interesting in a couple different facets. For a lot of it, it was just your regular battle, using their skills and abilities, making sure they had to use magical weapons because him being a powerful undead, he's immune to regular weapons. By this point, they all have some type of magical weapon. Dandy has the most because she has several magical daggers at this point. Um, none of them super crazy, except for she has one dagger of flame. You pull that out, there's fire on the end. You can catch things on fire. You stab someone with it, there's a small chance they'll catch on fire. But most of them are dagger plus one, plus two. Artemis is the only one without a magical weapon at this point, because she, her staff stopped being magical when the lifestone was taken out of it. So she's the only one who doesn't have a magical weapon, but she does have her spells. Um, so, but her whip, at at one point her staff gets knocked down. She actually goes to the whip and she keeps trying to whip his leg and pull it out. But, uh, she unfortunately was never successful because again, she's trying to fight around her friends. Dude comes down the gangplank. Dandy kind of gets around him. Um, and he had uh, a really big hat, like an exceptionally large hat with a huge feather coming out of it. Um, and so... The entire battle, while they're trying to fight this thing, at the same time, Dandy can't stop talking about how much she likes the hat. It's like, I, you're horrible. I gotta kill you. You really have good taste in hats, though. That's a really nice hat. Darsh, can I have the hat when he's gone? You know, things like that. Not now, Dandy, and they're fighting and such. Um, and it just kind of became a running gag through the fight, that a lot of times she'd throw a dagger, and even if she missed, sometimes it would knock his hat off and things like that, and then he'd get mad and he'd target her. So the, the hat thing became a bit of a running gag during that fight. Because again, we're taking it seriously, but y- you can still have fun with anything. Uh, so the hat became a thing. So um, they fight him, and, and they they kill him, right? Cool. They Well, kill him again. Technically he was dead, right? So they kill him. Excellent. And they're like, That wasn't actually quite as hard as we thought it was. They took some damage and such, but overall he went down a little bit easier than they expected, which was nice. And they begin to kind of, you know, search the ship. You know, he mentioned treasure. Why not? Dandy being careful to search for traps. Um, Artemis, of course, is unfortunately the one who takes the incredibly hard sword blow to her back that knocks her unconscious and almost kills her. Her scream alerts the others, and as they they're all in the room, they turn to find Captain standing right there again. And they reinitiate into yet another battle with the same pirate captain. Artemis is unconscious for a period of time, and she manages to finally, after a period of time, uh, they use, I believe Dandy had to use a healing potion on her to get her up. But she's still pretty injured in the back, she has to heal herself. Um, It's at this point that they realize he's not just a pirate, he's a pirate lich. Um, So if you don't know anything about a lich, a lich is an undead wizard who very commonly um, sucks the life out of people to keep themselves alive, which he hasn't had anybody in a long time. He's pretty hungry down here. Um, But um, that would lead to the people going missing back on the ship back in the day, including the young guy that everybody liked. The younger, the more healthy person is, the longer the pirate will live. He was a lich the whole time. That's why killing him didn't kill him. Uh, when they when they, his crew mutinied, um, it just basically hurt him. Because you can't kill a lich just by killing its body. Because liches have something called a phylactery. That's how I pronounce it. There's different ways. That's just how I say it. But a phylactery uh, is usually some type of a container that contains its actual essence. Um, and when a lich dies, it will then go back to the phylactery, and then usually move into another pre-prepared body uh, because the essence is within the phylactery itself. Um, Usually, the way I play it, it can't be that far away from where the... like, you can't be on the other side of the world kind of thing. Uh, So a lot of times, they have it pretty close by. Uh, So, now the battle has changed differently. Now, Darsh and Mercy are fighting the Lich. Artemis, who used a lot of healing spells on herself, is trying to keep them healed and mess with the the, 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 the pirate lich, while Dandy has to abandon her friends and start scouring the ship to try to find this hidden phylactery. Um, Dandy, of course, being the best suited for that, both through her class and through her very high abilities in uh, some of the skills and the way that she'd, she'd put them in there. So... Um, it was a, a very, very close battle because they, the second time each, the pirate came back stronger. The second time he was going to be stronger a third time, but they didn't get to that. Um, but he he took mercy out at one point. Artemis got her conscious again just to have Darsh fall in the next moment. Um, so Artemis was literally trying to pull people back up from unconsciousness while one was trying to fight this lich solo. Um, and it was a very tough fight for them, especially the second time, with Artemis taking a lot of damage up front because they were searching the ship and not protecting her and not realizing he was there. It really took a big big hit on her. Uh, but again, Dandy manages to find it hidden underneath a plank in one of the rooms, and she smashes the phylactery, at which point the pirate body collapses and, and the pirate captain dies. Um, but they thought they had... Well, it was the first time I was able to pull something like that off of them, and it definitely changed... Uh, how they acted after they defeated anything that would be considered a big bad, uh, or anything that could be kind of uh, monstrous. Uh, sometimes dead does not mean dead, especially when the thing was already dead. Again, searching the area, they do find quite a hall of treasure. In fact, in this single cave, they pretty much double their wealth. And they were pretty wealthy to begin with. That's important. At this point, they have become quite wealthy. I've stressed on this, but they have quite a bit of wealth. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, I can only carry a little bit. They've got the chest of holding. They can literally just pour it in there as much as they want. They find a few miscellaneous magic items. Uh, let me see if there's anything of importance in here. Um, no, 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 no. There it is. I thought it was here. They find something called a Figurine of Wondrous Power. So, Figurine of Wondrous Power it's usually a figurine like a little statue of an animal or creature and if you know the command word you summon that creature and it will serve you or protect you things along that nature um they find in this a pair of statues it's a set they they go together Um, but they are dogs war dogs if you will um and this is a magic item that artemis takes at this point in fact she pretty much was told to by the others Um, reason being is they're able to drop that and call their own only i would be out for a period of time but by putting those down that's an extra level of defense that artemis has in a situation to protect her it doesn't last super long but in a big battle boom i've got these two warhounds that only want to protect me here and then you know spike collars big old teeth that became a thing and oddly enough she named them pen and teller she's a huge fan and so was i but that was just an inside thing, but she, um, that, that became one of her things. And they got used frequently from this point on. So when I say Artemis summons her dogs from this point forward, that's what she's doing. They have, she can only use them a certain period of time a day. The longer she keeps them out, the longer she has before she can summon them again. So hypothetically, if she pulled them out for an hour, it could be a week before she could use it again. She pulls them out for a whole day, it could be a month before she could use it again. So, using them sparingly is important, so that way she has them when she really needs them. Uh, As a DM, did you feel like you needed to give them a lot of wealth because they chose to do a kind, good thing for somebody that they could have skipped over? Or was it just rolled out by level and CR? Mixture of both. Mixture of both. Uh, I... (laughs) I, Again, I pride myself in the fact that I'm a, a jerk, and... A lot of times, my character, my players don't like it when I give them a large amount of wealth, because if I'm giving you a large amount of wealth, I mean, sometime in the future, I'm going to do something that's going to make you need it, and that's not always a good thing. Sometimes it is, uh, but sometimes I'm seeding for the later adventure. But um, yes, uh, Pen and Teller was the name of the dog, so. And I think I may have mentioned this in the past, but if I hadn't, uh, this is just a little aside by the way that we played. When you have a magic item, you normally have a command word, right? You say the magic word, and that causes the thing to do. The magic carpet has a command word that turns it from a regular carpet into a flying carpet, um, because I still have that. And then there's also the, uh, the, the dogs and such. So when I would choose command words for them, I would normally choose words that would not make any sense to someone in a fantasy Dungeons and Dragons setting. Like toaster or lasagna, things like that. So words that the players can remember, interestingly, that I would make them yell or call out if they actually wanted to use that ability, and if they forgot their command word, so did their character. Uh, So it was important that they memorized those, but uh, yelling toaster in the middle of something wouldn't do anything for a regular fantasy person, because they don't know what that means. What's a toaster? Uh, But it was a funny way of us having command words that you could still remember, so you're not hobbalah hobbalah or whatever the weird sound I came up with. It's still a word that they'll remember, but that makes no sense in the context of the actual world that they're living in. So, um, I believe, if I remember correctly, lasagna was the command word for Pen and Teller. So, she like lasagna it. and she'd throw it down, and phew, the dogs would pop out, which again was just a little funniest aside to us, a little fun thing that was part of the story. That, um, yeah, you know, inside jokes, if you will. Uh, so they did find, like I said, there wasn't a lot of magical treasure in there. There was a couple little things, ring of protection plus one, little stuff. Um, I think there's a couple low-level priest and wizard spell scrolls. Uh, the wizard ones, they normally would take that and give that to um, Tobias. And then um, the priest spells, she'd hang on to, because that's free spells if she can cast them. Um, there's that. Um, so after this, they have to make their way back out. Um, and they do. It takes them quite a while. Um, but when they get back up there and they, they find the ship was there, no problems. They tell the story, and everybody's like, oh, you know, that's, that's crazy stuff. They don't tell them quite how, how much treasure they got. No need of a mutiny here. Um, but Darsh did give everyone on this adventure, uh, 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 all of his crew, a bonus. Which. Goes a long way to the loyalty of your crew. Hey, you're paying us well, but hey, we found some treasure. Here's your share. You're an employee, because you know, it's not like a pirate situation. Everybody gets their share. It's like you you get a percentage of this. And he did that, uh, and that went a long way with the crew. He didn't do that till they got back to port. He's not an idiot, but. It was something that when you say, hey, here's your share, that go, hey, not only does Darsh pay well to begin with, and he did. He paid the higher than normal rate, which is why he got some really good people early on. Uh, that was something that was discussed. Um, but then people were not hey, not only did that, we came yeah. home with a chunk of treasure. And, like, we walked off of there with almost our entire trip's wage doubled because of this treasure. You know, that's going to, the next crew is like, yeah, uh, me, sign me up. I'll take some of that. Um but then, after that, it was very cool. The uh, curse is broken, if you will, and dude, wherever he is with his son, the hope is that they get to live long lives together. Because we never do see him again. Because, he would, remember, he was going to go even further away after that. They never see him again. So, everything's good. Yay! Exciting adventure. We got some treasure. Good stuff. Uh, we found these cool islands. Yay. And now we're going to head... We're going to head back. Um... And they were all excited because they thought their adventure was over, and now they could go spend some of that loot. But nay, I was not done. They're a couple of uh, halfway, I'd say, into their journey back to the direction that they're heading. Uh, when early in the morning, Darsh is awoken by a loud banging on his door. Eretetetet. He opens the door. Quickly grabs his sword, because, you know, who's out the door, right? Opens the door, and standing there is Kevin, which was his half-elven lookout. Remember, Nathaniel is his main lookout, elven, and then his backup is Kevin. Uh, and Kevin normally takes the crappy night shift, and Nathaniel, the head one, gets it during the day. You know, vision of elves, you want that kind of stuff. Uh, Ship sighted, Captain. Uh, Maybe in trouble, is what he says. Uh, Darsh nods, quickly closing the door, quickly thrown getting dressed when he needs because there's trouble. You know what's going on. And then quickly comes out of his c- cabin uh, and makes his way up to the, 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 the high part where you can... I forget what it's called. Where you can see. Where Dorum is, of course. First mate. Got the watch. The other characters very quickly coming up as well. Darshid sent, hey, go wake up my friends. Um, so they get up there and he gets up there and he starts looking uh, and says, ship sighted ahead, sir. Appears to be a Kroniar merchant ship. And it appears to have been attacked. Uh, crow's Nest. No, he doesn't go to the crow's nest. You know how in the boat there's the raised part? Like, there's the front and then usually comes down and there's some stairs up and there's the back part where normally the steering wheel is? That's the part I'm talking about. I apologize. You know, usually the steering wheel is on a, an elevated section. Kevin and Nathaniel, you know, Nathaniel's already up there with the commotion. All crew are out of the bed at this point. And Nathaniel's up top. Kevin's at the front of the ship also setting up and then um, all the crew is up preparing for you know, whatever it is. Um, so like the ship appears to be in some type of trouble there's no other ships that can be seen at this point they continue to move towards it because it's kind of right in front of them anyway it's just slightly off course as they're approaching ship a few moments later from above they hear Nathaniel's voice call out dragon in the water dragon in the water the huge head rises from the ocean with a wicked glare. And you see the minotaurs on the Air vessel fighting in combat with it. So the head comes up and they start shooting at it. With their ballista and whatever they've got going on. So what we have here is a sea dragon. Yeah, you know, What's a little sea dragon between friends? So there's a sea dragon. Um, and Darsh has a choice at this moment. His ship way smaller than the Kronair Vessel. And as I've discussed, even the Kronair Vessel, which being a merchant ship, is way more suited for combat than even his ship. Um, I forgot something. I'm going to touch on in a second. But he decides we're going to jump in and help. <laughs> what a hero. I forgot the other magic item that they found in that area. Darsh got a magic item of there as well. So... Darsh doesn't have Darsh n- magic stuff. Normally, for him, he wants magical weapons, or he wants something that's going to make him harder to hit. Something defense based. Rings of this, shield of that, whatever. But as at this point, most people have several rings, the only ring he wore was his ring of central teleportation, which he could port back to Paxowal if he needed to, right? Back to the house. All four of the characters have one of those. But again, in Dungeons and Dragons, you can only use one magic ring on a hand at a time, or it negates each other. There are a few very, very rare artifact exceptions to that. Um, but for 99.999% of the time, that's a, that's a solid rule that I play with. Putting two on negates each other, the magic's too, too close proximity. And thank you very much for the follow, one Mode Firdus, one Mode Nora. Apologize if I butchered that. Thank you very much for the ball. So, as we stand, Darsh got a ring out of there, and it was a ring of water walking. So a ring of water walking allows you to walk on water. I know what you're thinking. I would have never guessed that. But a ring of water walking lets you walk on water. Does not let you sit on water. Does not let you lay on water. You can't do a handstand on water. Why does that matter? Because if you're knocked off your feet, you go under the water. And the only way to water walk again would be to find some way to step back onto the top of the water. Like, there's no way to just swim up in the air and jump out of the water and be standing again. I can't do it. And obviously, I'm in the peak of physical. But anybody's the same situation. Oh, no problem, Mystique. Thanks for coming by. Um, so if you fall in the water, now you're just swimming again. The ring of walking doesn't work unless you can climb up something and then be standing on it again. But Darsh had one. So as the ship got close and they started fighting... Darce jumped out of the boat and literally just went running across the water to the dragon. Much to the surprise of his own crew. Even more to a surprise of the Minotaur crew. But the most surprised was the dragon. Because all of a sudden... Because you're not... Look, he's not looking next to himself, right? He sees a boat coming in that direction. Here's a boat closer with Minotaur shooting at me. I'm dealing with that. Breath weapon. claw, 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 Whatever the case may be. Tail smack. Whatever that's going on. And all of a sudden, big stab in the side of my neck. What just did that? I look down and here's a Minotaur standing on the ocean stabbing me. He got a surprise attack on the the dragon that way because the dragon you would not expect Minotaur to come running across the water. But they enter into combat. And I want to stress that they do not kill the dragon. But they do drive it off. They're not strong enough to kill the dragon. But between the two ships, now they've got the Smage jumping in with his spells, because he's got fight spells. That's part of the contract. There's at least one, if not more than that, relatively high clerics of the God of War or God of the Ocean on the Minotaur ship, because that's the two primary that they worship. Even though the God of the Ocean is technically evil, you can still worship him a little bit as a seafarer and not be evil. Uh, They've got spells they're whipping out. The Minotaurs have huge... Ballista. They have three different types of um, cat- two catapults and a ballista, and that was something, again, that we pulled out of this book here because the boat you chose literally, literally told you how many different types of weapons you can have on your ship and you can choose them. And Darsh had a ballista on the front of his ship. He, he only have one because of the size of his ship. He chose a ballista over a catapult because ballista um, with his size and strength are easier to load. We've already talked about that before in previous battles. And it's easier than on a ship that small. Having a bunch of big rocks on the deck just didn't make sense. So he had a ballista. But they have several on this big vessel, and everybody's attacking, and so on and so forth. Um, and so um, they managed to drive off the sea dragon. Okay? Uh, the dragon goes taken off into the ocean, seriously injured, but not deathly. So, so there's a sea dragon out there that's not a big fan of them at this point. Uh, but we'll just keep that in the back of our heads. So, um, during the battle, both ships took damage. Um, actually, Darsha's ship took more damage, because when the dragon finally turned on the smaller vessel, it just wasn't really built for combat like that. Um, the mentor vessel, a little bit better in that regard, took some damage, but being bigger, it's, it's, it's going to be okay. Um, so, after they defeated, of course, they're hailed by the ship. Darsh walks over, again to the shock of everyone, and 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 he climbs up, and he introduces himself, and he meets uh, Captain... What's his name? Uh, Captain Trig. Captain Trig, Waverunner, who's the captain of this ship, Um, and he's actually heard of Darsh, surprisingly. He goes, Fohammer, yes, I've heard of you. uh, One of my cousins was at the Battle of Thorman, and I heard firsthand of your things. Uh, they said that they are a merchant vessel on their way home to Kronar. They had just uh, done some uh, trade in Arguel, um, but they are they're on their way back to Kronar when Sea Dragon. Um, and you know, we appreciate your help. We probably could have taken them ourselves, but you know, it's only, you know, Minotaurs. But at least they were saved by a Minotaur, even though there's other non-Minotaurs on the ship. Um, after a bit of talking and so on and so forth, that ship heads off towards Kronar. Darsh returns to his ship, talks to Dorum. They assess the damage done to the ship, and they realize Paxwell's just not going to be in the option. They're going to have a hard enough time getting to Arduel. That's the closest port to where they are. Um, But they should be able to get there in several days. But the ship has taken some serious damage that they're just not going to be able to fix there themselves. So they alter their course and start heading towards Arduel. Which makes me happy. So it takes them several days to get there. When they arrive, they have to dock. And I have things here like uh, ship will dock how much it is per day. They have to pay for a docking fee. Um, They look into repairs. It's how much gold it's going to cost. How long is it going to take them two weeks minimum for the ship to get repaired enough to be good to go. Uh, They could probably do it a little bit less if he wanted to do half, but he would be going slower. um, And there's more risk of external damage from that. So Darsh decides to go ahead and pay the whole lump, get it fixed here. Because Arduel actually has the better uh, shipbuilding setup, even over Paxwell. So if you remember, they were on an ocean, I believe, from begin beginning with. Yes. Thorman, Thorman has is really good as well, but Paxwell was not on the ocean. So Arduel's got some stuff up and going, and uh, they're going to get some work done. So they're going to be stuck in Arduel for a couple of weeks. So, of course, they go make themselves known to Prince Christopher. or now sorry, King Christopher. Uh, King of Arduel, who they've, you know, they're way back in the day, saved him from the basic uh, mutiny that was going on in his own kingdom, helped him become king, and he's traveled with them before. They are friends. He's very sorry to hear, of course, of what happened. Uh, ex- he's excited to hear the, the pirate story adventure because that's really cool. And he didn't know there was an undead pirate, you know, a couple of weeks off of his shore. That was unexpected, uh, but he, he loves a good tale. And uh, the sea dragon. Now that he knows there's a sea dragon in the waters, several days away that's something he needs to let his navy know about because now that's going to change some serious stuff for them. Because the Sea Dragons had not been seen in this area at all since the Great Merge at this point. So, he invites them to stay at the castle. They appreciate like, oh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to stay at an inn because they like to have the freedom of coming and going as they like. Um, and they go to do that. And um, and they, but you know He's invited them back to come back for dinner on this day, and we'll talk and such. You're going to be here for two weeks. Please visit me as much as you'd like. I'd like to talk to you about some things in Paxiwal, yada, yada. Now, for a moment, they thought about us. Uh, some of them were like, oh, we could teleport back to Paxiwal and have Darsh meet us. But they hated to split up the group uh, for two reasons. One, that's not fun. And number two, they were always deathly afraid of what I would do if I, if I split them up. Um, and anytime it looked like I was going to split them up, they went out of their way to try to set it up so that I couldn't split them up because they were really afraid of what I'd do if I could split them up. And uh, yeah, Ardual should probably be worried about Paxual. Arduel and Paxiwal, um are fully treated out at this point. Foreman was the last one to come into that, but the treaties of the Southern Kingdoms by this point has been completely signed, and all three of them are um, allies and uh, treated up, as well as. Uh, they're now uh, Firemoon's castle is also coming into that as well so um, they're while well, they're known as the southern kingdoms because they're on the edge of the southern ocean right they don't know what's all the way up because it's a huge landmass but they're at the southern ocean it's beneath them um, the southern Sun uh, so nobody expects the Wall Inquisition nice bonus points for neon <laughs> all right I like that uh, so, some things happen while they're in our duel. Let's talk about them, shall we? So, occasionally, I've told you, we're going to be building up several characters at this point. One of the important things that they want to do while they're here is, of course, Artemis wants to go to the temple. She visited the temple before, they've been here. At, when they were here last time, they were asking if they could tell if they knew anything about. Um, and I may have messed this up earlier, I apologize they're looking for the central gate at some point in the past they found out that's what they're looking for that's what they were told by the um, guy with the gems in his head who gave them all the weapons back that they need to get to the central gate but they don't know where that is and so they've been asking, they've been researching that's what they're researching in Paxival the wizards have been looking for it, no one's heard of the central gate the fact that these weird portal gates have popped up everywhere they don't know if it's connected or not all they know is that they need to be returned to the central gate so they return to the temple and uh, they're taken to meet uh, JL. JL is the head of this temple. Uh, I don't think I gave his name before, but he was they've dealt with him in the past. Uh, he's actually uh, the god of knowledge, neutrality. Um, he's the head cleric here, but again, good neutral, even evil, evil. Everybody's, welcome on the lands. Um, uh, but Jael's like, oh yes, we're happy to have you here. Yes, you're going to be here a couple weeks. of course, the temple's at your disposal. Sister Artemis, if you need anything, they've been benefits in the past, so on and so forth. Um, he appreciates that. And um, he says, actually, it's quite convenient here. I was actually, I just sent word to Paxwall to you that uh, last time you were here on the way to Fire Moon's Kingdom uh, for the wedding, uh, you had asked here if we'd ever heard of the central gate. Um, we began you know, researching it as we do, let everybody know, looking for that, and we found a reference to it in one of uh, books and scrolls that we found in, in you know, the very back of the library, dusty old tome no one had opened in generations, um, and of course, Artemis and Mercy, who's here at this point, Darsh and Dandy right now are working on ship stuff, um, Artemis and Mercy are like, this is, ser- I'm sorry, yes, Artemis and Mercy are like, this is serious business, my goodness, what did you find? And they're like, there was only a rough mention of it, but the central gate was referenced as a gateway between worlds. Which is intriguing, because there's one world here, but all the worlds were brought together. So was this central gate part of what happened that caused this merge as well? Did Nilat's spell do something to affect or trigger the central gate? I'm only telling you the things they asked me, and these are the things they were musing in that moment. Did somehow he trigger a central gate, which was a gate two worlds, causing everything to get sucked in? Or what were they talking, you know, because that's kind of they didn't Central Gate was not part of his spell that they know of, but it would could lead to that. The only other reference, because it was just a minor reference to the central gate, um, mentioned that it could only be found at the source. And they're like, well, what's the source? And he goes, it didn't say. Nowhere in there does it reference anything of the source. In fact, we've started looking for that too. No one's come across anything of the source. And he being a cleric of knowledge, just being asked this question last time they were here, for him, like, woo, this is what I live for, finding knowledge. So he, he's got his people working on it because to him, it's a mystery. And Mystery is finding knowledge, and that's something he's really into, so he has people working on this. Because the question would be, well, why does this cleric care what these people want? And Paxiwal makes a bit more sense. They know more about what they're trying to do, and the weapons, he doesn't. He knows a little bit, you know, a little bit to help find stuff. Um, So he's not doing it as much for them as he's doing it for the knowledge. Um, And as he supplies them knowledge, they give him more clues, which just helps him down that path. So uh, he ate that up. Um, now the last, now one other thing. Um, he asks. Um, they're about to head out for the day, and he, he's like, uh, as they're getting ready to go, her and Mercy. He he says to her, "Hey, um, Lady Arnest, uh may I speak with you a moment in private?" And she's like, "Sure, of course. Why not? You're helpful, nice guy. Sure." So she steps, and he t- takes her aside, and Mercy's talking with somebody with him. He says, uh, and he came in and he says, I, he, I'd like to ask you a favor. You just told me that you're going to be here for a couple of weeks waiting on your ship to get repaired. I'm definitely sorry that that happened, but myself, I see this as a potential boon, at least for the temple. Um, I would like to ask a favor of you. Your experience in the world is incredibly rare. Most clerics don't have the opportunity to affect the world as much as you and your friends have. You've been out there doing all that. Most clerics don't have that kind of a life. They live in the temple. They deal with the flock. They heal the whatever. But they they stay in their area. Um, your experience is incredibly rare to the clergy, just as our function. Uh, I was wondering, he said, uh, if you would mind spending a few days here, speaking with our initiates and our clerics. Tell a bit about your adventures and and how you what you've done and how you've been able to sp- spread the word of the gods and such in this new world that we all seem to have found us in. Um, I think that it can be very beneficial to them, and um, that it might be something that you know, you might enjoy as well. Sharing your experiences definitely everyone who could hear them would, would definitely benefit from that. Artemis is flattered. She's like, I I, I would be flattered, with you. I'd be happy. I, I have a few things I have to do around town, but I'm sure I can work it out to spend many days here the, until the ship is ready. Doing that, and he's very delighted to hear that. Um, he says, now of course he's like excellent, and he sort of snaps his fingers, and she's like, huh, and then two really big templars come in like two big dudes well armored out you're like excellent they're gonna go everywhere with you and she's like excuse me she goes she goes yes i mean with the problem that we had that you helped solve back in the day wizards taking over you know many of us were imprisoned and locked up and didn't know what was going on as well so since then now whenever a cleric is outside of the temple they have the protection of our templars um I understand that you have friends and your experiences and so on. She goes, they go, but it's important for me to share, to bring those rules on with you as well because I want them to see that. That we back up, you know, everybody who's, at this point, you're kind of, you're part of our temple, at least for a little while, you're a teacher here. Um, and so that's kind of your bodyguard. And she's like, okay, well what do I do when I'm on the ship? They go, they'll leave you fine. When you're on your ship with your friends or in your inn with your friends, that's fine. But, you know, when you're, you're going to be out and about they're, they're not going to be in your way. They can follow you a ways back. They just need to be watching you in such in case there's a problem. For those of you freaking out, he legitimately is setting him up with protection. Mercy giggles a little bit because she sees how uncomfortable this makes Artemis. You know, Mercy, best friend Artemis, loves teasing her About stuff like this because she hates artemis loves being in the temple and she loves helping the young people and stuff um, but neither one of them really like the public size of their job if there's a parade and such neither one like it and they'll rib each other quite frequently when one of them is getting uh praised or getting too much of what they call public attention that neither one of them like it so in this situation mercy's loving it plus mercy looks at this kind of a boon this is going to give her a little bit more freedom to go around and not to worry about Artemis as much. Because if Artemis is going to be here in the temple teaching... There's a lot of good clerics here. I'm comfortable leaving her with these guys to protect her. And then I can just be there to you know, help pick her up at night... Or whatever the case may be. When she's not in here on a project. But here on the grounds, I'm, I'm fine with her having extra protection. And if they want to walk with us back to the ship... Or back to the hotel, wherever we're staying. Because uh, Darsh is staying on the ship. Darsh is not staying in inn. They go to town and their boat is there. Darsh stays on the boat. Uh, Dandy usually as well when Dandy's not out, me and Dandy. Mm-hmm. So, this is kind of funny and amusing to, uh, to Mercy, not so amusing to Artemis. Very amusing to the dungeon master. Um, so, let's see, that goes on. Okay, let me gotta jump back over. So, Artemis starts teaching at the temple. So, we're a day or two into it now, because that was the first day they were there, they met the king, all this stuff. The second day, Artemis is already teaching a class. There's nothing important for her to do. Um, Mercy is going to check in with King Christopher and say, hey, Artemis is teaching at your temple. In case you need anything, you can reach her there since we're going to be around the town. Um, Now we've got another clue. We've got this the source thing we just heard. They're looking at it. We're going to ask around in some things that we can. Darsh is taking care of his ship. So Artemis is now at the temple, and it's Dandy and Mercy, who very often don't get to just hang out themselves, uh, just as the two of them, out kind of bumbling around, doing a little bit of shopping for themselves, uh, looking at some weapons, some gear for them, things that might have been damaged or lost on the last trip, um, you know, and just having a little fun shopping. There's nothing wrong with having a little bit of free time. And I try to put that on them. Not every moment is fighting in battle. If you want to go and, and shop at the bazaar of this city you've never been to before... You want to look for something fancy? You want to look for an outfit? Uh, Dandy wants to get a cool hat with a giant feather on it because that's one of the things they were looking for that day. She wanted a hat like the pirates because she didn't get his because it got all crumbly when he fell apart and she's very upset about that. So she would like a hat with a giant feather because one day she wants to be a captain like Darsh and have a giant feather on her hat. So there's that. So um, I've got another thing to read here we go. So they're out hanging around in town around town doing their thing. Um, and as they make their way through the throngs of people in the market because they're going to check stuff, Mercy gets the feeling she is being watched. Mercy's very trained to this way. Trying not to be obvious, it takes her a few moments to pick out a man a distance behind them who is following them. She walks to a stand and admires its wares handmade jewelry. She points at one necklace and quietly says to dandy, "There's a man following us." yeah says Dandy since we left the docks actually he's really not very good at it he might as well be wearing a big hat Mercy just smiles a little bit and, and always happy to hear that while well, she just picked up on this Dandy's known about it forever and a little upset that Dandy didn't say anything but you know it's Dandy um, and so they, Dandy's like kind of nudges in the direction and there's a small alleyway between some buildings And Mercy nods and they head that way and go through the alley. They're not stupid. They get around the alleyway and they hide behind some boxes and sure enough a few minutes later this guy comes walking around. He does not in fact have a big hat on though. That was just a reference. Mercy who's always armed when she's not armed instantly has her morning star in her hand. And the young man is up against the wall with it under his chin because it's got spikies on it. And Dandy's right there with her hoop pack with her metal point ready to go up into his manly bits. Like literally against it. That was what she decided to do. They ask him who he is. But at the same time as Mercy is asking him who he is she cannot help but think how familiar he seems to look. I'm very happy to talk about this next guy. (laughs) He introduces himself as Ulrich. Now, some of you may remember that name. I'd be interested. Does anybody remember who Ulrich is? I'm going to give it a minute because I know there's a bit of delay. But I'm just wondering if anyone remembers who Ulrich is. I'm going to take a drink, though, because my throat's a little parched while i will give you a moment to think. I remember the name, but not who he is. Okay, fair enough. That's an, another second. Give anybody, give anybody else a second who wants to chime in. You don't have to, but I'd just be interested to see if anybody remembers who Eric is. Jim's the same way. Okay, all right, fair enough. It takes a moment to recognize the young man, although he's clearly <laughs> aged some in the short time since she last saw him. Ulrich was the young man that she found in the undead city that was being attacked who was saving the children. You remember that he was a young knight in training, and the other knights that he was with had been killed, and he found himself in that village saving the children. And he ended up helping Mercy, it was her little side quest at that point. And they uh, saved, and Ulrich was the young man who was like his late seventeen-ish, early eighteen, a couple years younger than Mercy. Well, it's been almost a year, year and a half... ...since the Battle of Thorman. They've been all over the place since then. They've been to space all over the place. And Ulrich... The reason she didn't recognize him is... ...now he's got a, a bit of a stash on him. So... I'm going to show you a picture... ...of what Ulrich kind of looks like. I want you to know... ...I've never found the perfect actor for Ulrich... Uh, he's probably of every NPC that I've found the one I've struggled with the most. Um, I have some art that I found online that looks more like Ulrich that I will show next time if I can't find a better actor for him. Um, this actor only it, it, hairstyle specifically, this is exactly what Ulrich, although he has a bit of a stash at this point, almost like a bit of a goatee. So Ulrich's a young dude and he's pretty good looking. He's, he's actually more buff than this kid. Uh, I believe this kid was on a Disney show at some point, um, but he's the closest I've found. That's what he looked like when she first found him. Um, now he's, he looks a bit more older and rugged, uh, and he's got a bit of a like, thicker mustache with just a bit of a goatee. Like, the mustache has grown thicker than the beard, which is the opposite of how most of it works for us guys. But uh, He's got a bit thicker mustache and just a little bit of the, the bottom chin hair going on. But he does have the longer hair, and he is blonde. Um, and he's not, like, super muscular. Uh, but he's definitely taller than Mercy. Remember Mercy's pretty short. Mercy and Artemis and Dandy are all short for even their own races. Um, so he who stands at almost at 5 nine, she like literally she's like what five, no, she's like five, one or five two, and he's like right at, right at, uh, under six feet. So you can imagine there's a, a chunk of difference in the heights there. Um, although Mercy could mop the floor with the little dude. He's here, and so she, of course, asks, "I remember you now. Why were you following me?" So on and so forth. And Ulrich tells his tale. Um, after he left Thorman and took back the gear of the knights who died, and gathered that up, and, and he returned to uh, the night post, the, the 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 post of knights, not knight n-i-g-g, the, where, where the knights are. Because he was a knight of uh, of the, of the light. You know what I mean? I was talking about them earlier. That's where uh, Michael's, technically, his his group, or his knights as well, were of the same group. Um, And he went back, taking with him the armor of Sir William. Um, He told of how Sir William had ordered him to flee, and how himself and the residents of the village they were in were saved by Lady Mercy and her companions. Uh, There were some doubts to his story. At first, his rivals, because it's knighthood, and he's basically of minor nobleness there... um, questioned the orders, implying that I had fled from cowardice. Uh, It was only Lord Gunther, who, for the record, if you remember, that's Michael's uncle, himself was present and spoke on my behalf, said that he actually knew you all and that you were considered allies of the knighthood, though your tactics were not very approved of because you use magic. Because knights don't like that. Um, Things were quite never the same after that. He felt out of place. He looked like people looked at him oddly and such. Uh, and even though you know he didn't really lose rank, he found that he just didn't have the relationships as he did with the people there. He felt like he was in a place he shouldn't be. Um, and then looking more into the story of Mercy and her friends and hearing the adventures they've been on and how much they've helped different people and so on and so forth, he realized that Mercy and her friends, in his opinion, were doing more good for people than the knights were doing just... Learning to fight and doing their little uh, tracks around, and you know, I'm talking about guarding the land and such. That she was in the thick of it, and he decided that that was more of the life that he wanted to have. He wanted, to, he always wanted to be a knight. He wanted to help people, and he just didn't feel that he felt right in the knighthood after what he'd been through and what he'd what he'd learned of kind of the outside world and what's been going on. Uh, so he turned in his shield and left the knighthood. He returned to Thorman. Uh, where he heard of their victory over the undead. Cause remember, he left in the middle of it. He already knew of it, but he fled out of there, or left out of there uh, and then learned about their part of the war um, and how they had defeated the, the the magical artifact that had caused the whole thing, because that's the story they told. Let me get Ulrich's pic- picture off there, because I'm, I'm wearing it out. Um, so he then traveled to Paxiwil, uh where, again, he'd heard tales of the bravery and deeds done of Mercy and her friends, of how they would you know, save this people, and they'd save the merchants, and how they'd uh, gone up and fought that army in the north, which was technically Zarin, and so on and so forth. Uh, to feed the brigands, and how to save the naval fleet and all their adventures. I almost caught up to you on the docks of Paxwall, but instead had to watch you sailing before oh, sailing away right before me. That was the young guy waving on the decks that Dandy was waving goodbye to. <laughs> I, I made a point of mentioning him at the beginning of this episode and the end of last episode. That there, was a, there, was a, there was a guy who was waving and Danny's like, bye, we'll see you when we come back. So, it took him a while but he finally got a ship on Arduel but when he got here, they weren't here because he didn't know where they were going. And when he got there, he learned even more of how they'd save King Christopher. Everywhere he went, he learned that Mercy and her friends were affecting the world in a positive way. So for over a year, he's been chasing, trying to track them down. So basically, at this point, what he does, you know, at the time he acted out, he did the whole, got on his knee and held up his sword. He goes, if you would have me, I would offer you my sword. Um, I wish only to fight at the sides of you and your companions and help you in your causes. Because again, you're doing more good just out there with your tactics that many of the knighthood shine down on, you're doing more good than the entire knighthood has done in the several years since the merges happened. Other than the, the you know, war of that took place in the Valley, Valley of Serenity. They were pretty helpful there. In that one. Hello, Amy Fleet! And welcome, welcome! So at that point, again, Mercy opened up the pre-made envelope that I had given her two sessions before that, or three sessions before that. And inside, it says do you accept Ulrich offer um, which she did. So Ulrich became her sidekick if you will, or her first henchman in Dungeons & Dragons terminology. So Ulrich at that point, loyal to the group but he serves under, it's mercy that attracted him. And I don't mean like from a hoo romantic, it's a, you do great things. Your tails are right, you've done everything, your first henchman, of course. Oh no, sorry about that language. Oh no, you're fine, Jim. You're fine. The thing, the bots that we use automatically sometimes block words and I just have to approve them to let them go through. It's fine. It's just a way that we have of making sure that people aren't putting like racist and stuff out there, but it's it chooses lots of words. So if you're fine, you are more than welcome to use my language if you'd like. Uh, first henchman, yes, Neon, I did mention it that way because as you may recall, a ninth level warrior uh, will normally uh, attract multiple interestingly enough. But Ulrich has now signed on uh, and serve his mercy. So she they agree. He only has basic gear. He doesn't have any magical weapons. He does have good quality gear. He's got... Because, you know, he, again, he was from a noble family. But he walked away from all of that including his family lineage because none of his family were came through the merge that he knows of anyways. And he left all of his um, worth other than, you know, Got some few coins. Got some coins for traveling. A brooch, a gem that was for his father's. A ring. It was his mom. Stuff like that. But anything that was land or whatever, he gave it up when he joined the knighthood. Anyways, but he was given a noble rank. So that's kind of how that works in that situation. You're a noble. You don't start as a peon. You start as a whatever. So that was his rank. But he left all that to leave. So he still had. You know, he was. You know, they said, okay, you're leaving. You can take a sword. You can take a this. You're not taking official. Armor that bears our crest and such, but you can take out of this gear that we have, of course. We're no hard feelings. You want to leave, that's fine. You can do that. Take your basic gear, and you can go. You know. But you know, it's once you leave, there's usually no coming back from that kind of thing. You can visit, but you're not joining back up. So Ulrich has now become Mercy's henchman. Yay. <laughs> Uh, Alright, so what else happens while we're here? Um, oh, yes. So there was one other little thing that happened with Mercy, and it was just kind of a way of her and Ulrich to get to in kind of learn that their 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 new arrangement. I would have expected Artemis to have henchmen first. Oh you would. How interesting. so um, they have a little thing where they got to learn their sitch so they're kind of bumbling around the place and she's helping buy him some better gear that's why I brought that up she's like okay you're coming on you'll get paid you get a share of what we do you know so on and so forth but you do what I tell you and in every situation you put your life in front of Artemis like I understand that you want to serve me but if Artemis I don't care bullets you jump in front of them i spend most of my time making sure my artemis is safe having you here that's now also your job too and everybody else but if if bad things happen i want you standing in front of artemis even when she doesn't want you to that's part of your thing now he's like oh yeah totally i I accept that so like okay cool so that seems fine and they were traveling through, and again, they it's later in the evening at some point, and they hear you know they're they're I don't know they they stopped and got a drink or a beer or a sandwich whatever it is and they're kind of yeah from a stall they got some type of like ham hock on a leg whatever it was they got some type of food food thing, and they're just kind of making their way around the outside of the bazaar they've already done most the of their shopping for the day and they're gonna head back to the sh- uh, to the inn she, he has a room at the inn with them because both um, Dandy and Mercy have a room at the inn. Darsh stays on the ship and Artemis has a room in the temple. After the second day, she decided just because she was so ha- hated having those guys falling around, uh, it, it made her feel uncomfortable and it made mercy and them feel better. That she was just going to spend most of her time there so she'd get up in the morning, do morning prayers, because she sometimes misses that. She's on the road, she misses that. Um, time in the temple, and when they're just hanging out in Paxiwal for weeks or months, she spends a lot of time at the temple, and she has, they all have rooms there, she has a room there anyways, so some nights she just stays at that temple in Paxiwal. So, they're not surprised, at it. and it's the one place they usually feel safer with her anyways, so if they're like, oh, you're there at the temple? Well, as long as you stay there, we can go do our stuff, we don't, we don't have to watch over you. So, they're bumbling around, they're, they're making their way back, and they, they hear a bit of a commotion from an alleyway, and they're like, eh, we'll take a look. And they look down there and they see basically some hooligans roughing up an old man. Again, this is purely just to introduce the two of them into a situation and to give Mercy a feeling for what it's going to be like. Now she's entering into combat with a henchman. Because that's not something she's ever had to really deal with before. NPCs have been there, but never an NPC that she literally can give commands to. That in times of strategy, she will say do this while I do this and so she he, sometimes he's going to act of his own accord of course he's not a mindless fool but I wanted her to get into that habit so they get in there and there's some hooligans look like they're trying to mug an old man uh, they come in the uh, hooligans are, are like uh, you picked the wrong way because he's standing there and he's got some bags and stuff and he's got he's not walking around in full armor they aren't doing that in town they're, most of their armors back in the room you know Mercy doesn't even carry her Morning Star with her anymore, since she can just pop it into her hand whenever she wants. Very often she leaves it, so she doesn't have to carry it around. When they're just, you know, out shopping and such, you know what I mean? It's faster for her to pop in her hand than it is to unsheath it. Well, it's, it's a Morning Star; you pull it off your belt. But, you know, so they're out there, and now the the, the guys start pulling out daggers. At first they were just roughing this guy up a little bit. Looks looked like they'd just begun to rough this guy up. And you know, for whatever. And now they're like, oh, some more people walk down the alley, and it looks like you've got some shopping bags yourself. Huh. Maybe you picked the wrong place, and they decide to to pick on them. Well, of course, Mercy comes in like she's going to hit the guy, and the guy's like a really big half-orc-looking guy. And he's like kind of smiling, like this this little girl's not going to hurt me. And then halfway through that swing, a morning star appears in her hand. <laughs> you can imagine the face going, Ooh! <laughs> and He's thunk, like, and she aims for his shoulder. She's trying to hurt him. She's not trying to kill him. They're hooligans. But they're not, you know, at this point, murderers at least yet. So she's trying to hurt him and take the big guy down. And she aims for his shoulder. Looks like she's going to punch him in the chest or stomach. But then that Morningstar appears and thwack. And he just goes back. And the other ones jump in and immediately Ulrich whips out his weapon. And I believe... Yeah, he's sword and shield guy. So he, he doesn't have a shield with him, but he pulls out the new sword that he just got. It's like, oh, I get to break it in. And again, following Mercy's lead goes to injure, not to kill. And they basically beat the snot out of these five hooligans. And they're just all on the ground and such. And and they didn't take much hits at all. And Ulrich is like, wow, I've been with you like a day, and this stuff's already happening. He's like, Wow, I was surprised. Like, you know, he's like, This is he looks at like, does this how every day work for you? And she's like, Nah, more like every other day, but you, you get used to it. He's like, hmm. <laughs> okay. And they go to the old guy and the old guy's all dirty and you can barely see his face and his clothes are ripped and you know it's just almost like a homeless dude and he thanks them and asks their name as I'm, I'm my is mercy harriton uh this is my man Ulrich." when you say my man it's not taken as uh, uh, relationship wise in, in back in the day and this is my man Ulrich. Uh, Von Westen, by the way, for his name, Ulrich Von Westen. Uh, this is my man Ulrich. Uh, are you okay? Do you need to go to the temple? Do you need a healer? And he's like, No, no, no. They had just started to hassle me because I was coming back from the marketplace with, you know, trying to sold some fish or whatever the case was. And I want to take me for my coins. I shouldn't have taken the shortcut down the alley. Um, and they're like, Okay, well, that's fine. Do you need. You're sure you're okay? And he's like, Yeah, I'm, I'd rather get out of here, though. And, and he says, and he, he repeats the name. He says, Mercy and Ulrich, right? Thank you, appreciate that. Uh, I will tell tales of your bravery. And he mumbles off. Um, and they're like, okay, odd, but thank you, cool. And, of course, they find their way out and they leave the alley. The guys are all unconscious and they go out and they find a Templar and they're like, hi, Mercy Harriton, friend of King Christopher. And they're like, oh, yes, we you know. He's like, yeah, some hooligans tried to do some bad stuff. They're all unconscious in there. You'll want to take care of that. And uh, the, the city guard's like, ooh, thank you. So they go take care of that. Yeah, because you're not know, leave them laying there. Um, and Mercy and Oracle make their way back to the hotel where they have separate rooms. And, you know, it's all business. Nothing fancy there. I'm trying to push that on. In no way is this a romantic situation that I'm, that, that's happened here. He idolizes her for what she does as a knight, better than a knight, and that's why he's here. So I always want to stress that. Next thing Artemis. So for over the next couple of weeks, Artemis spends several hours every day speaking with groups of clerics from many different faiths, sometimes even evil ones. Each time the attendance increases as word of her teachings and that she's even there spreading. Um, by the last uh, the last day, the Great Hall, which isn't as big in this town as it is in Paxwell, is nearly filled. In fact, clerics have come from some of the villages and such around to hear her tales. Um after her final sermon, she fields some questions from people. and it's Usually a lot of the same questions, like, how did you, this, what did you do in these situations? Do you find it hard to keep to the faith when you're coming across all this bad stuff and, uh, you know, things? She doesn't, she usually leaves out the part that she was dead for six months. No, they never talk about that with really anybody except for Brother Bart, Sister Mara, Brother Lycos. They're really the only one, oh, and the mages. Those are the only ones that really know that they were dead for a while. Um... Let me see. Uh, JL, Jl the guy approaches and thanks her for uh, saying the words of inspiration has touched many. Uh, tells her you, you are welcome to return and speak as a guest or stay here anytime you like. The last two weeks have been phenomenal. He goes donations are up because not everybody coming to hear her are clerics. Some of them are just people coming in to hear her tales as well, and it's caused more not just donations but more people to come regularly to services. It's she's she, her stories are very enthralling. She's a very good. Speaker: Death is just a natural process to a mage," says the necromancer. <laughs> "I said, I I deal with death before breakfast. <laughs> but um, it's the end of the day, and she's going to return to the ship that night. Uh, she's decided to go back a day early uh, because Darcy's she, given the word out that you know they're looking to head out the next morning, or they're going to head out in a couple days, and and uh, she didn't want to hassle Mercy on them, so she says, okay, I'm, I'm I've got these guards here, they can just get me back to the boat. <laughs> So she decided she was going to leave and go back early, and then she'll just find mercy the next day and, and dandy and them. He bids her farewell and uh, says, yes, of course, your guards will accompany you to the ship. Uh, so the sun is nearly set. It's almost dark. It's pretty dark. It's mostly dark. Um, as Artemis and her guards make her way through the, through the city back towards Darsha's ship. Um, there's still a decent sized crowd as the booths and the marketplace and the stores are still opening and the bars and inns, of course, are still open. It's like 7 or 8 in the evening, the sun's down, it's almost completely dark, but the city's well lit up from torches and lights and such, and lights coming from the buildings, so there's still a lot of people on the street, and a lot of people may not recognize her specifically, but they know what she is, so as she goes through, people are nodding in respect, you know, you know, you know cleric of healing, <laughs> please play a ser- prayer for me and my family, you know, it, that just kind of thing happens. As she's walking through the crowds and there's the roar of the crowds and all this is going on, suddenly she hears her name whispered as if someone is right in her ear. It's like Artemis. And she stops. The guards, stopping real quick, turn and look at her, surprised by her sudden stop, but no one's standing around. She's looking around a little bit. She turns back towards the docks the direction she's about to walk, you know, where she was going to begin with and suddenly she sees him in the distance, his long white hair flowing over his shoulders and his eyes glowing with an inner light. A group of people pass between them for just a second, but by the time they've passed, he's nowhere to be seen. Nervously, and not saying anything to the guards, she makes her way back to the ship. She sees no other sights of Draven again, but she feels as if she's being watched the entire journey. Once she reaches the ship, the guards bid her farewell, and she makes her way into her cabin. So that happened. And there's that, and then the last thing. So over this two-week period, they didn't find any other information. That happened. There's a Draven sighting. This is the first time there's been any sign or sound from Draven, since she spoke to him, he spoke to her through the amulet that he'd given her. And she helped save Michael. That's the first, It's been a year, year and a half. Not a word, not a peep, not anything. All she hears is her name whispered. She looks back, and when she looks back. Often the she sees him. The crowd goes by, and he's just gone out of the crowd. It's a very classic movie scene, and I stole it for myself. But that's how I roll. So that happens. But again, she doesn't tell anyone. No one else knows about Draven at this point. She's not even confided in her very bestest friend, Mercy. Because now she feels guilty. And she feels guilty that she didn't say something earlier. So she kind of feels like she's trapped herself. Because if she says something now, she has to explain why she didn't say anything earlier. And how she could take a deal with this thing without discussing it with them. And she doesn't know what kind of trouble she's gotten herself into. Um, so I really, really would chalk up the pressure when I had the opportunity uh, and make her feel bad for not saying anything. Because I'm evil like Let's talk to Darsh. So it's been nearly two weeks in R.D.L., and uh, Darsha's ship's pretty much repaired at this point. Um, he smiles as he looks over, dreaming of the day that he'll have an even bigger ship. <laughs> Most of his crew agreed to stay on for the voyage to Paxawal. at this point. A few decided to leave with their earnings and head off. I mean, there was undead lich pirates and a sea dragon. Not everybody wants to jump back into that. Uh, but Dorm quickly took care of refilling the crew. He put that in his capable hands. Uh, Mercy or Artemis had returned to the ship last night. Uh, and, they're pl- and Darth was planning on leaving on the next day. Uh, Mercy and Dandy had both been back um, to check on the progress, spent a few minutes chewing out Artemis for not telling her that she was coming back early. Um, Artemis took it a little bit more in stride and wasn't as lippy about it as normal, which Darth thought that was odd, but maybe she's just tired from all the work she's been doing at the temple. As he's standing at the stern, looking out over the ocean, he suddenly spots a ship in the distance, heading towards RGL. He sees ships coming in and out all the time. He spent a lot of time on the docks, and he's gone into the town a few times, get a nice meal, especially. He does like food. Uh, but he spends most of his time overseeing the repairs, working on the ship, so on and so forth, uh, dealing with um, Gasket about the the trip and such. Plus, Gasket has been working at plotting out the, the new area they went, so that they can find their way back to the islands if they ever wanted to do that. Um... Dealing with their, you know, both their, uh... everybody who basically had a name stayed on. Some of the unnamed people did not, because several, several of the unnamed people died during the fight with the dragon. Because there's going to be some death, you know. Um, very soon, though, it only takes him a moment to recognize that film familiar design and the craftsmanship of his race on the oncoming ship, and it is the first ship that he's seen from R in the docks since he's been there. It makes its way to pork and docks a short distance away. Uh, Darsh considers heading over to meet it, you know, say hi, introduce himself and such. Uh, when suddenly he's pulled away by his duties, an issue with the repair, and he's dealing with that. Uh, so a short while later, while he's in his cabin with uh, Dorm and Gasket going over their route back to Paxival, there's a knock on the door. Uh, Dorm answers it and comes back to say, uh, Captain, there's a delegation from there's a delegate from Croniar uh, vessel requesting to speak with you sir. Darcy's is like, okay, cool. I was going to do that, and then I forgot about it. I got busy. I guess I'll go chat. And he puts on his hat, because at this point he had got himself a hat. Uh, I don't remember what it looked like, but it was his hat, because he felt as a captain he should have a hat. And his horns uh, kind of go through it, because it was custom made. Um, as he goes down to the edge of the ship, because, of course, they don't come on the ship without his permission, he is incredibly pleased to see that his cousin Rokar is waiting on the dock next to the ship with two other Minotaur. Rokar, the greeting and warm hugs, because friendly Minotaurs, introduces Captain Reg, R-A-apostrophe-A-G, and again, i got to bring up, my friends give me crap all the time because I like putting apostrophes in names. And Ambassador Creel. Uh, Rokar uh, is the now first mate of the ship that pulled in into port, uh, known as the Cyclone. And uh, it was sent here specifically to find Darsh. Rokar has come with Ambassador Creel with a scroll, which is a summons from Darsh by the Emperor himself, asking that he come to Kroniar for audience. The cyclone is to escort the Miss Dandelion to port. Um, he's been invited to the homeland. Now, Darsh could choose to go, or he could say, no, I have plans and things of that nature. But Darsh, um, is, isn't this the first time that Darsh has met another mentor from his original home? That's a big deal. No. Uh, he met Rokar back in, uh, earlier, back before Thorman. Uh He ran into Rokar in the marketplace of Paxiwal. He was his cousin, who was the second mate of a ship, not first mate, second mate of a ship at that time, um, whose ship had um, come through the merge and had ended up in Uh, Kroniar, and he had taken up living in Kroniar at that point, uh, and was the second mate of a ship. Um, But no, he had met Rokar before, because Rokar had also sent a message at one point warning him about Craig, the assassin. That message came from Rokar to their house at one point. So, he knew that his cousin was there. Um, That was back, I think he ran into him when he was getting his shield made for the first time, like he was dropping it off. But yes, he knew Rokar was there. Um, Rokar or is, is of course you really should come <laughs> the emperor has asked for you by name um and he didn't seem irritated uh you know and darsh is like you know i haven't been there yet this is the land of my people this is a good chance for me to get there um and so of course he's he's he accepts um but then he he goes to his crew and such and he's like okay listen change of plans we're going to Cronear. anyone who doesn't want to sign on for that wants to go i understand and then he goes to his friends. He's like, "Listen, I don't go to the Minotaur land. If you guys don't want to come, if you guys want to go to Paxil, I can meet you there." And they're like, "Hell no, <laughs> we are not going to leave you. We're going to go with you because that's what we do." Plus, Dandy's really excited to see the Minotaur homeland, which has Darsh and Rokar a little concerned. Uh, but that's what's going to happen. So they say, "Okay, are, the cyclone only needs a day to quickly restock." The next day, they are going to head to Ark. Um, And Rokar is very excited because he gets to introduce Darsh to the rest of his family. And Darsh says, what do you mean by that? Rokar is married and has two children. So technically, these are Darsh's relatives. Now, again, if you remember, of their clan, Darsh is technically the elder even though they're not siblings, of the son of the father of the son of the father, seventh son, seventh, all that kind of stuff, Darsh was the one who was going to be taking over the family business. He was basically a minor noble of that scale. Um, but Darsh is excited. You got married. That's awesome. He goes, yes, I tried to find you in Paxwell to have you come, but unfortunately we, we were unable to find you at the time. He was in space at that time. Uh, but, you know, he goes, uh, definitely, I married uh, a Minotaur named uh, Saja. And Sasha uh, is from Cronair. So he's very excited about that. Dar's like, even more reason to go. I have family again. This pleases Dar's. Because again, <clears throat> going back to that whole Roman slash Klingon thing, family's a big deal. I run Minotaur's the same way. So the next day, it's early morning as they prepare to depart. Um, duel and their voyage to Cronair. Uh, ship is fully repaired, fully stocked, and all crew are accounted for. No one turned down the voyage. <clears throat> it's going to take a couple of weeks to get there. Cyclone's way faster than the Miss Dandelion. Um, but it's going to—it's guiding them, so it's going to stay with them. Partially because there's a Sea Dragon out there now. And this Cyclone? Cyclone's a battleship. That is not a merchant ship. The Cyclone is prepped up. It's one of the big uh, biggest ships in the Kroniar Navy. So the fact that Rokar has made his way up to first mate is pretty impressive. And definitely looks good on Darsh and his family. <clears throat> Uh, Darsh gives the order to shove off, and the uh, Cyclone takes up close to them, and they start making their way. Uh, Dorm yells out commands, and the crew snaps to action. In just a moment, Darsh feels the ship move. Uh, Within moments, it slides next to the Cyclone, and both ships head southwest towards Cronair. Darsh smiles in the morning sun. He's finally technically going home. So... Um, I really thought I was going to get much further than this tonight. And I've still got a little bit we're going to go. I'm not stopping right now. I'm going to run just a little bit longer than normal. But uh, I thought I was going to get way further than this tonight. Which actually works out well. Uh, because it's going to end on a, on, a, on a really good spot. <laughs> this is also a reason why there's 20 episodes. <laughs> so, it's going to take, as I mentioned, a couple of weeks. Oh, you kept that? No, I love that. I love the interaction. I love the questions. That's That's awesome because it gives me a chance to get into parts of the story that i may be forgetting to tell so please you got questions and comments throw them out i'm happy to have them by all means and if you're watching this later or listening to it on spotify or itunes um please feel free to comment in the video or if you're listening to it on the audio podcast you can go to my website onlydraven.com there's a place you can submit on the bottom of the homepage, uh email feedback so feedback questions answers please and i if you do i will be happy to address them on the next um Merge World stream that I do. So, please. By all means. I, I love that stuff. Uh, I was going to say sorry about that. No, don't apologize. I love that. I love the interaction. Also, it lets me know you guys aren't out there sleeping. <laughs> so. Um, as I mentioned, it's going to take several weeks to get there. Croniar is out in the water a good distance. And the Daman Line is nowhere near the speed of, like I said, the Cyclone. So this is the last little bit we're going to cover. Dandy quietly sneaks out of the cabin, as she does nearly every night. She sneaks quickly behind some gear, being careful not to be seen. In the distance, she can see the light from the cyclone, and she suddenly has the urge to swim over and investigate it. How exciting would a minotaur ship be? Everything's probably huge. Imagine the buckets. Why, she could probably fit in one. Hell, with a broom and a towel, she'd have her own boat. Oh, then her and Darsh could race and play boat tag and bumper boats. Settle down, Dandy, she chides herself. I have to stay focused on the mission. Gotta be a super spy. Gotta save the day. Focused once more and feeling quite heroic, Dandy makes her way around the ship, doing her best not to be seen by the few crew on duty. Since first leaving Paxwell, Dandy knew there was a problem. Something didn't feel right. Twice now she almost caught it, whatever it was. But both, t- both times she would hear mumbling or chanting, but by the time she got to where it was, whoever was doing it would be gone. This last time, she found blank, uh, found black powder in a design on the floor in the storage area below deck. Whoever had put it there had tried to wipe it away before fleeing, but she was still able to copy most of it down on the back of one of her maps. Dandy had been around enough spellcasters in her day to recognize magic. It wasn't Artemis or Malon, and Mallon is the name of their smage, I should remind you so it could only be trouble. Well, tonight she was going to be extra sneaky, and she was feeling extra lucky. She had her new lucky rabbit's foot. It looked a lot like Dorphin's, the dwarf's lucky rabbit foot. She'd have to ask him about it. Maybe they were from the same rabbit. But wait, wouldn't that be incredibly unlucky rabbit then? Dandy was making her way to the stern, contemplating the luckiness of a two-footed rabbit when she noticed something in the rail, on the railing on the back of the ship. Quietly making her way over, she could see a very thin black rope tied to the railing going down. I, I that, that was the part that I wrote that I read to them uh, the same way that I read it to you guys. And that's some of my favorite parts of all of this, is that I get to share with you the same thing that they got in that moment. So I was excited by that. So Dandy sneaks up, and she looks down the rope, and sure enough, there's someone hanging from it. And they appear to be dropping something in the water. She can't tell what it is. Her infravision helps, but the water's cold. He's whoever it is is dropping something relatively warm. But the person's outline is very, very faint, which is odd. Because her infravision is pretty good, and at least at this close, she should be able to see it a lot better. So dandy has to decide at that moment what does she want to do and her first thought was well i could cut the rope and solve this problem very easily but what if that person whoever's doing that isn't somebody doing something wrong and i just sent a seaman overboard for no reason and that wouldn't be good darsh would not be happy with that second issue is what if it is someone who's bad but they're not alone instead i should find out who they are and catch the other people because it could be the whole crew for all i know And at that moment she starts wondering if any of them looked funny at her So she decides instead of cutting the rope and potentially angering Darsh and potentially drowning somebody she likes she likes a lot she hides and waits for the person to come back up and sure enough after a little while the person she sees hands reach up and the person slowly pulls over looking carefully and she's surprised to see that it's Kevin the half elven uh, gentleman who is the second uh, I guess you'd say the assistant a navigator. He quietly and carefully coils up the very thin black cord that regular people wouldn't have. Dandy would. She's seen that type of rope before. Not the kind of rope that the average person would have. And she waits. He slowly bumbles goes back up and makes his way back down. She's like, should I follow him now? Should I? Should I? But I don't know. And so she thinks about it and she decides that instead she wants to go down and see what he was doing. And so, taking out a thin rope of her own for climbing that she always has, she ties it, hiding it better in case he comes back, because she was very unhappy with how well he did that. And then she makes her way down. And when she gets down there, she starts looking around and it takes her a little bit to find it. But she finally sees etching like burnt marks, almost like someone was taking a, 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 the, like a hot hot poker and burning it in the wood. And there are several different sigils and such burnt into it. And Dandy starts memorizing them, because Dandy has a very good memory for this type of thing. Because she can't really draw. Hanging from the boat, she's just a few feet from the water, and occasionally the water swoops up and gets in her boots, and she's not a fan of that. But she's copying down the symbols, because they appear to be in some type of an order, And she suddenly stops staring at the last one, almost falling from the rope. It takes a lot to shock Dandy. Dandy's not the uh, kind of person who gets surprised easily. But her shock turns to horror and then anger when she realizes that the last symbol is a spider. Anybody have any idea why that would make Dandy angry? She's seen that symbol before. In fact, she's done a lot of research about that type of symbol and the type of language that comes with it. Clearly, it's Elven. Although, not the traditional Elven that you'd see. Um, technically, kind of, yes, Neon. Uh, they do worship spiders in this world, although Loth is not a god in mind drow elves historically do, so uh, they do worship um, they do worship the spiders and such are part of their community, yes, but Loth herself doesn't exist, there is no spider queen Uh, instead, let me grab the book here one second I'm reaching for it, oh, I'm too fat let me grab it here Uh, on my world uh, they worship Pandora the goddess of deception. I knew it was Pandora, but I want to make sure I had deception was the word. Now, hasn't her name popped up recently? <laughs> uh, Jim says Ashley has joined in on this, and I'm so happy she understands what's happening. Our Sundays have begun <laughs> hanging out with you. Well, I'm very happy that as well. And hello, Ashley. I appreciate you coming and hanging out, too. Um, but yes, this is clearly drow symbols. And they appear to be magical in nature. What they do, Dandy doesn't know. But she knows that it's nothing good. And she quickly... Starts climbing back up the rope. Sneaky time is over. She has to talk to Darsh. And that's where we're going to call it for today. I honestly thought I was going to get way further than this. But this is a perfect time to stop. A, because I love cliffhangers. uh, But B... Uh, Because the next section we're going to march into in Kroniar is a pretty big deal. And then the section after Kroniar is the most world-affecting part of the story that I've ever written. We're getting close to some serious stuff, if I may say it that way. Um, But Dandy makes her way towards Darsh. She's not going to wait till the morning. Darsh needs to know this right now. But that's what we're going to call that for the day. So, um, very cool today. I, there wasn't... Uh, the, we got the pirate part done. We spent some time in RDL. fought a sea dragon. Uh, a lot of this uh, little bit we've been doing now has been uh, story building. I've been wanting to flesh out the characters, uh, start building them. I mean, they their whole goal was always to get home. But the longer they're here, the more of a life here they're building can't help but do that, right? Um, So I've wanted to start bringing that in um, and we're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff moving forward. Still going to have all the adventure and the story and the plot and everything, but uh, we're going to start seeing a little bit more of this type of character building as well as we move forward um, and how they're acclimating and their effect on the world around them uh, is going to be growing because they've had quite a big effect on the world in a short period of time. Um, and they may not know exactly how far that effect has reached, uh, but they're going to learn pretty soon. Um, so. Uh, that was cool. I enjoyed that. For those of you uh, who are watching, if you're interested, uh, this episode will be up on iTunes and Spotify tomorrow. Uh, I usually have it up within 24 hours. Um, the next Merge World episode is two weeks from today. Uh, it'll be two Sundays from now at 8pm Eastern Standard Time, uh, just as we did here. If you are listening and you had a good time tonight, I would love it. If you if you wouldn't mind hitting the like button. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe. Um, also, If you are listening to this on Spotify or if you're listening to this on iTunes, please follow, like, or review there if you wouldn't mind. Definitely the people that follow that helps their algorithm put it in front of more eyes. So the more people that uh, like and share and stuff like that, the more people get to learn this. And I'm definitely trying to get the word out. So if you know anybody who might like the podcast, uh, I post this on my socials, on the Twitter, uh, Facebook. If you have people interested and you want to share that, I'd love that. Help me get more people into the story. Um, I definitely enjoy telling it, and I love all the questions and the uh, the uh, ideas you guys get and the, the hypotheticals you come up with you think are going to happen. Sometimes you're right, sometimes you're not. Uh, so hopefully I keep you on your toes and keep you surprised a little bit, and I'm hoping that sometimes you guys are picking up on some of the seeds that I put in there, like Ulrich. Ulrich was going to be this from before I ever put Ulrich in the story. I knew exactly what Ulrich was going to do. Oryk was designed specifically to take this position. So Oryk's been sitting in the wings for a while, waiting for the right time to bring him in. So even before they were high enough level to have followers, I was preparing for that. Because I think that that should be in the story. Instead of people showing up saying, hey, I heard good things about you, hire me. Um, I wanted some of these people to have been a part of those things that they heard. um, And give them specific reasons for wanting to be around the characters so uh, we're going to see a lot of that moving forward and there's going to be times when we may jump through time a little bit and uh, people may appear who weren't there before but overall I, I try to give a strong reason why everybody's where they are um, but I'm going to call that one for a day again thank you all very much for coming by I appreciate you hanging out with me today I uh, appreciate you liking and subscribing and hanging out and letting me do this every week this is probably the favorite thing that I get to stream um, and get to share with you all and I love that Um, and definitely trying to get in front of as many people as I possibly can Um, so definitely look forward to hopefully seeing you again, you can go to my website onlydraven.com if you go to onlydraven.com you can find links to my socials, I recommend Twitter for sure, that's at onlydraven that's the one I'm most active on Uh, but you also find a place to email me you find pictures of the characters there you'll also find an audio version of every podcast episode there, if you'd rather not use Spotify or iTunes, you can pull them right off my website as well uh, place to send in questions or feedback. If you got those, send them in. Place to send in fan art if you're someone who does art. Uh, I've got a page for that as well. We've got some of that on there. Uh, you may see this one up here. That's the Merge World symbol. That was made for me by one of our members. Uh, it's a cross-stitch thing that is pretty boss. Uh, I love that. So, I mean, that was a fan art that was sent in. There's a P.O. box listed for those that want to do that. And then, of course, the last thing is we also have the ODG Store. So, if you're interested in Only Draven Gaming merchandise, there's a selection of different stuff up there you might find interesting. Shirts and hats and stickers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, So, there's a lot of stuff there that you may find useful just on the website. Please come by and visit us and hang out. We'd love to have you. You'll also find on my website, on the first page, a link to our Discord channel. So, you can come in and chat with us all the time. Merge World or video games, anything that you like. I'm happy to answer questions. Uh, anytime you have them. So thank you very much for coming. Special thank you for my members. Uh, You guys who are part of the ODG membership program uh, helped me keep all this stuff running and I appreciate that a whole lot. If you'd like to learn about the ODG membership, just click the join button anywhere on my YouTube channel and you'll see all the perks and bonuses that come with an ODG membership. We'd love to have you a part of that as well. And then of course, an extra special thank you to my moderators who helped me make this stuff work. (laughs) Without you guys, nothing would. So thank you all so much for coming by. I hope you have yourselves a wonderful evening and we'll see you again very soon. Have a great day.